Welcome to the Plastic Pleasing Store Podcast. We are your hosts, Trey the Explainer. And me, Miles Grab. A podcast about the natural world. Things that people claim are part of the natural world. And things that used to be. All right, and we are back. Hello, Miles. How have you been? Hey, buddy. It's good. It's uh, sunny up here. I'm hanging out. I'm drinking my Arizona tea. Oh, nice. Drinking a Coke Zero. I'm I'm doing good. (laughs) I've been been liking the Coke Zeros. You know, they they taste like 95% Coke, which is just enough a bit Coke for me. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Oh, all right. What do we got today? What do we got? Well, um, so we set up our Patreon, right? Mm-hmm. help us pay for all of our hosting fees and all that junk and uh we had some people sign up so that's awesome yeah that is awesome and uh one of our levels the thylacine level um mm-hmm. people can write in and ask us some questions so i thought we'd start off by answering the questions all right awesome yeah so uh john mcdonald wrote in and he said hey guys big fans of both y'all so i guess my question is what books or shows do you recommend for someone who's fascinated with the supernatural but wants a skeptical point of view Keep up the great work. So what are oh. some books that you'd say, Trey? All right. For me, um, I see that. So I would say uh, for cryptid stuff, really great cryptid stuff would be uh, the Cryptozoologicon. Oh, that's a mouthful. Cryptozoologicon by uh, John Conway, Dr. Darren Nash, and C.M. Kozman. It's pretty good. It like sort of breaks down uh, sort of a more skeptical scientific approach towards looking to cryptids. Um, and, and essentially anything that Dr. Darren Nash makes is pretty good. Like uh, hunting monsters is really good too, where it's looking at cryptids sort of analytically and, and it, it's, it gives them the time of day. It's not really dismissive towards cryptids, but it's like, I, we need to look at it, uh, evaluate it more skeptically and, and talk about it, which, uh, I like that stuff. Yeah. Darren's yeah. basically radagast. Yeah, like the master of the strange natural world. So. Yeah, it's it's weird. I was when this question was asked to me, I was like, it's it, there's actually very few, um, relatively few skeptical, like supernatural or cryptid books out there. Like I was like, wow, now that you mention it, like there's essentially like, like only like, like a handful, like, I don't know, three or four. And um, yeah, and I, then there's a lot of blogs, like I, I read yeah. a lot of Joe Nick, Nickel and uh, Jason Colavito, who are pretty uh, good blogs. Uh, Joe Nickel, who I like, um, basically, if you want to know what his opinion on is on something, it's an owl. <laughs> He's the owl guy. He was the original yeah. owl guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you're wondering what something out there is, it's an owl. Um, I was going to recommend um, Abominable Science by yeah. Daniel Luxton and uh, Donald R. Pretherio. I'm I'm bad at names. Apologies. But um, Abominable Science is really good. It um, details kind of the history of, you know, Sasquatch, Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, um, you know, like the big hitters. But the important thing is not explaining why they're not real, but kind of the history of the reporting on them, the stories, the sightings. Yeah. And and that's what I found is a lot really important when analyzing cryptids is like you see the development of the story itself. You go to the earliest one and work towards more recent times. We we did a, you know, a bridge version of that when uh, Trey and I tried to break down the UFO show. Like I deliberately had Trey kind of tell the story of Skinwalker Ranch. And then I told that, oh, these people did the UFO story because when you look at it like that it does not appear the same right yeah like everything you're like oh there's these people who keep seeing crazy stuff saying hey there's a new crazy thing it doesn't seem as real anymore so that book breaks down the history really well mm-hmm. um also just for general kind of skeptic stuff of course you know demon haunted world by carl sagan is kind of like the foundational text of modern skepticism 
probably. I, I have not read that book. I bought it, but I haven't taken the time to read it. But I hear that it's really great. It's probably my favorite nonfiction book. Okay. Um, yeah, and then The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe um, by the uh, Novella Brothers and uh, Cara Santa Maria is, of course, a great skeptical book, which talks about um, kind of the, the foundations and buildings of skepticism, which will help you kind of like learn a lot of the actors who develop skepticism and and then that later plays a cryptozoology, but there's a lot of alt med stuff in there too, but those are some of the best books about skepticism in general. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And then Jason Colavito, he does, um, he breaks down mostly like ancient aliens kind of stuff. And, um, what am I thinking of pseudo archeology? span He does like Oak Island kind of stories Yeah, where he break he's, he's essentially, it's like the, the, like, like more crypt, like for archeology span sort of similar skepticism, which is really good. And yeah. we try to do that here a bit, but you know, we have a, um, to quote Adventure Time, uh, I have approximate knowledge of many things. Greetings, Frank the Human Boy. How did you almost know my name? I have approximate knowledge of many things. <laughs> so, I like, like yeah, so like, um, I can do my best, but you know, I'm not an expert on any one of these particular topics. I'm probably only an expert on Star Wars lore. <laughs> which is a good thing to be an expert on it's probably the worst thing to be an expert on it's it's the most uh no you want to know what the worst thing to be an expert on is it's a it's a song of ice and fire like game of thrones lore which is me oh, and it's don't, it's don't even, even worse. don't even try me buddy you, you, <laughs> you're gonna say that that um what is it season eight is uh, you know we're not going down this it's either it's either you have a really awful ending or you have no ending whatsoever <laughs> so it's like, well we have no ending to the eu they cut it off jaina was made sword of the jedi and then she was getting her whole new book and they just cut off the story are you serious we don't even know how luke dies we know that luke is dead by star wars legacy and that um the main new jedi the main character jaina was like put in position to be like the outgoing person of the Jedi temple. And then the story just ends and the new book that they advertised was just never coming out. Gee, that's, that's really depressing. Dang. Yeah. Dang, that yeah. sucks. Yeah. Um, but some good skeptical shows, uh, you know, Penn and Teller's bullshit has some good bits about some good yeah. in it. They have a really great, um, anti-vax like, uh, sort of skit that's really awesome yeah uh, you know of course like um there are some political episodes in Penn and teller which you may or may not disagree with but mm -hmm. if you want to hear a perspective that may not be your own you can listen to theirs but they have some skeptical stuff as well um cosmos does and star trek of course there's some good skeptical shows but really there's not that many good skeptical shows especially <laughs> that's, back that's the problem like yeah monster quest has like more skeptical sections in it but um there's a, the overwhelming majority of shows out there are like, uh, especially for supernatural stuff. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty one-sided get yeah, ghost I, adventures I think, with Zach Baggins. It's so bad, bad yeah. stuff. <laughs> Barrel Wraith should take him. Um, so like for monster quest, I feel like they are skeptical of certain claims, but they always assume that there is something that is real. Right. They're like, yeah, some of these explanations don't make sense and we'll examine them. But I mean, there's got to be something, you know, mm -hmm. and it's got to be something that's the bias, I think, that makes it not really science. Yeah, so. they'll have like one skeptic on and then everybody else is more is more pro whatever that thing is. Yeah. And it, but and it's yeah, there, there's a good list of some stuff. And unfortunately, there's not enough. You know, like it's one of the reasons I wrote after the gold rush is because I was really like, uh, you know, disappointed in the amount of like positive skeptical um, stories there were so i try to make my own 
Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of skeptic YouTube channels. Like I'm thinking like, okay, so what do you think of uh, sort of the skeptic uh, YouTube community? Yeah, so it, it's it's very mixed. Um, there's a lot of different political ideologies on there. I'm not going to say one is necessarily always right, but, you know, I'm a humanist, so I'm, I'm biased towards things that kind of uh, support the full expression of humanity in a respectful right. way. Um, I think that some of the discourse on there can be pretty negative and regressive, but th yeah. there are really good videos, especially when you look at, um, I wouldn't necessarily say debunking, but talking about in a, a more thorough manner, a lot of bad engineering. Mm. For example, as someone who can wildly differ on like a political opinion than me, like, like the Thunderfoot videos of him debunking, like some terrible engineering of like getting like air from or water from air and like things are supposed to help provide water to Africa or like uh, Elon Musk's Thunderloop or different things like that. Yeah. His videos there can be good. So you can get that kind of thing. But, he, you know, you have to be skeptical of someone who's a skeptic, too, because we're all also biased. You know, right. like I, I have a, a a liberal bias, but I also grew up in a rural area. So I have a little bit different perspective. You know, coastal liberals have their perspective. Royal conservatives have theirs. We all have biases. So one thing about skepticism, I'd say, is, you know, it's good to listen to arguments, but never let a narrative kind of take over your mind right. and always try to be empathetic and listen. So that's what yeah. I'd say about that. I would agree with that. Yeah. And uh, I would check out Trey the Explainer's videos. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank he, you. He's a half dinosaur, mostly boy, but he's a great <laughs> educator and uh, he has a lot of really good cryptic breakdowns. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I hear good things about him, too, but, yeah. you know. I mean, he's no Miles Grab, but he's 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 definitely up. He really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, uh, Lori the Paleo Nord, uh, who is also a thylacine, uh, thank you again for supporting us. Yeah, uh, she so writes much. in. Yeah, she writes in and says, "Do you remember the moment that you really fell in love with science? How about you, mm. Trey?" So I, I I was formulating my response to this, and I it kind of happened sort of organically and, and really gradually because I remember at a very young age I was introduced to um, like walking with dinosaurs and walking with beasts like that kind of stuff, and then Planet Earth, um, it's that famous documentary, and yeah, I guess like some of those nature documentaries really gave me a, a love for um, paleontology and biology and, and evolution and kind of stuff. So. I guess that would be kind of sort of the initial start of it. I remember I had a lot of plastic like animal toys that you get like the bargain bin and I would like organize them on like a family tree and look stuff up. I liked eagles. I looked up stuff about <laughs> eagles all the time. Um, but then there was a, then there was a thing where like, as I was growing up, I was growing up, I grew up like sort of creationist. So it was a weird sort of situation where I was introduced to a lot of uh, pro science stuff like evolution and all these scientific ideas. And then at the same time I was taught creationism at a young age, so there was like this conflict from like the very beginning in me. Um, and I would question it and reconcile it. And there was a time where I was leaning more towards creationism and I was into Noah's Ark and, and making theories supporting it and stuff. And then I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then it went back. Yeah. yeah so I, I can remember a, when I grew up Christian trying to, justify these things to myself yeah you know i was like there has to be a way to the to, to square this circle mm. i remember watching ken ham i used to watch a whole bunch of ken ham and then i and then as i grew older you i sort of learned to challenge my beliefs and look and think critically and loved questioning and I, like i always loved asking questions like why is this thing the way it is 
and, and looking it up, finding it out later. So yeah, I don't know. What about you, Miles? How would you I respond think to that? For me, um, you know, there's not like a strict narrative here, but you know, like when I saw Jurassic Park, I was like, well, obviously dinosaurs are the most badass thing there is. <laughs> and this is when I was like five years old, and so I really fell in love with dinosaurs, and I wanted to know more and more about them. And then I remember I I got this microscope kit. It's like a microscope and sampling had all these little science things in it. And I went out into the field as near my house is just large, like hundred acre oak gray land. You know, there's pheasants out there. There's very rarely foxes, sometimes deer. Mm. Um, there's these uh, forgotten orchards of olive trees and like rivers that dry up in the summer, but are really full in the fall with tadpoles. And I'd spent a lot of time out there and there's just one pond. Um, that everybody said a kid died in, but I don't think that's true. I think it's a ghost <laughs> story. Um, but there's this one pond and I was like messing around in it because, you know, I was like seven mm. and I, I found these like like shelled little like bug looking things like clear shelled looking bug things, hmm. little flippers at the bottom. I don't even know what they are to this day, but <laughs> I collected a bunch of them and I tried to figure out what they are. And I collected them with my friend Adam. So we called them Adam Isles. And I started like documenting them and like trying to figure out what the hell they were. I thought I found a new species, um, <laughs> but nobody seemed interested in my discovery at all. Oh, crap. obviously it's not a real discovery. It's a known animal, but I don't know what they are now. I wish I did. I, um, I did that. Um, there was a like uh, sort of vein of something like where like the dirt in my backyard had like sloughed away and you could see like the under clay of it and stuff. And there was mm-hmm. this white vein of something. And I thought it was, I was convinced it was a dinosaur and was like picking at it like a fossil. Definitely and it, was, it was literally just like chalker. I don't yeah. know what it was. <laughs> um, it's fun. But so I, after that, I think I after like I got no emotional feedback from that. Mm. I actually think I kind of fell out of it for a little while. Huh. Um, and it wasn't until like the Bush administration tried pushing back against evolution a lot and yeah. tried to teach creationism in schools that I got more interested in it. And although I was still a Christian at a time, I was trying to reconcile that with my growing belief that evolution was right because i found first of all the evolution arguments to be just absolutely obviously correct Mm. um so i couldn't really get them out of my thought process and then as i learned more about anthropology i found you know probably because like i'm a storyteller that this long connection of humans and us borrowing from each other and learning things and and spreading out and building civilizations this big long story of us to be so fascinating that mm. I kind of fell in love with that idea. And that's why I like learning all the weird things in history. Cause I just want to know more about our whole story. And yeah. so every little thing from the past that we could find, I find fascinating. And I think that that brought me back into this stuff. And then I started watching, you know, cosmos and rewatching star Trek again with a new appreciation and kind of helped me bring me into this world. So that's nice. That's awesome right there, man. Thanks buddy. So yeah, yeah, those were our two questions from Patreon. So we really want to thank um, the people that are supporting us there so uh, we can keep the show going. So it's really awesome. And we'll have a poll up soon with a new question. Um, Trey and I have to talk about what it is, but we'll be making some new content for you there as well. So Yeah, that'd be awesome. So Trey, we found something cool. Yes, yes. This is a this is my story for the week, and it's um it is the last surviving. Okay, stick with me here. I'm gonna try to pronounce this correctly. Somebody had gave me the correct pronunciation, so I'm gonna try. Makiwato, Makiwato. Oh, that's, God, that's, 
That sounds kind of right to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's. Um, <laughs> I'll explain what it is. I'll. I'll try to stop saying it because I'll say it once and then and then I won't say it that many times. Makiwato, makiwato, which is essentially. Um, so my oh god, I'm gonna have to say it again. Anyways, wow. <laughs> this object, this object, it it was a club like weapon um, used in Mesoamerica in uh, just before contact, I guess. And it is a club. People have probably seen it. It's a wooden club, big club, and it would have these sort of uh, bladed edges in it. Uh, it would be obsidian shards, and it would work as like sort of teeth. Um, it was this big weapon that they would use before CRISPR Columbus in Mesoamerica in warfare. And um, it would have obsidian. And obsidian is super, super, super sharp. It can be like surgical steel, like how sharp it, it could be. And they would use it during war. And apparently it was a really great weapon. It was like a, it was like a sword almost. Um, and you could use it like there's, there was um, this sort of speculative story about like how like there's one incident where um, an Aztec or something used it to like chop off the head of a horse, like decapitate a horse, which is wild. Don't, don't be, don't be doing that to horses. Horses don't are do friends. The horse didn't deserve it. It's just displaying how powerful this is. Yeah. Though. It was this big, huge, crazy weapon. Um, and it's m- mostly made out of wood, big club with um, obsidian sort of uh, shards or blades in it uh, all along the side. Um, and here's the interesting thing is that like, we know that it existed and there's illustrations of it. There's like, there was up until recently, there was almost no, there was not almost, there was no surviving authentic pre-Columbian Mahiquatos. Like there was none that survived to this day. Um, so we knew of it through stories and art only? Knew of it through stories and art. And there were replicas made after okay. Christopher Columbus, after contact, but there was yeah. no surviving ones. Um, there was one, there was a single one, that the last surviving one was in like uh, the Royal Army, Army Armory in Madrid in Spain, mm-hmm. and it was de- and it was uh, destroyed in a fire, unfortunately, in, oh. in the in the 1800s. Um, and the reason for this probably has to do with the fact that it's wood, like wood rots oh, yeah. really easily. Um, and uh, it's kind of interesting because it's it's parallels like uh, Roman shields, like uh, scutums, where like we only have like one or two surviving scutums, but we know that they were like mass produced like crazy. Um, and just the fact that they were made out of wood, and I guess it just doesn't survive time well. Um, so, anyways, recently, the, like um, we we didn't have any surviving mahiwatls anymore, and just one came out of nowhere. Like one was unveiled unveiled at an expedition in Mexico City, which was huge, huge. That's a yeah. big deal, right? That's like finding a sword essentially from a, a warrior civilization that's important. And was prolific, but we don't have that many artifacts from. So yeah, it was it was really best amazing. Finds. Best find. It was it, unfortunately this one was warped. Apparently, it was in the museum collection for like decades or centuries. Hmm. Um, and then they just out of nowhere, unannounced, they just like were like, "Yeah, we're going to put it on expedition here." Um, and it's like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" Um, so yeah, it's a so they really knew cool that find. was there, and they just didn't share it with people. There's a lot of stuff in museum collections that just get lost. Um, like where like the it's Ark just, of the Covenant, like the Ark of the Covenant, it's just buried under the in boxes and crates and stuff. Like there is a famous story about um, there was this giant uh, gecko species in the uh, like the Pacific somewhere in the Pacific Islands. I don't know which one, and um, it, it's extinct now, uh, and we have no pictures of it, no illustrations of it. We just know that it existed, um, and. 
just out of nowhere, just randomly in like, I think like the seventies or sixties, a museum just found a stuffed specimen of it in their basement, basement of the, of the museum. Just got extinct stuffed animals just lingering <laughs> around. It's like, what? Under some stuff. <laughs> Giant. Let me see what the, what it is, uh, what the name of it is. So I, um, it was the, <laughs> I can't say these names. It was, uh, it's a giant gecko species in the Pacific Islands. And yeah, they just found it in the bottom of the museum in the middle and just sort of undocumented. And they're like, whoa, how did they have no idea? Auditing these museums. <laughs> they had no idea it was there. So it's interesting where there's all these artifacts that ended up in museums that we just don't like, they're not made public. Yeah, um, that's crazy. And that's what happened with this Mahiwatl is that it was. It, we thought it, the last one had burned up in the 1800s, and sure enough, there's there's one still surviving. And apparently, there's a second one in in a museum um, in Mexico as well, um, but it's just not public. So let's hope oh, out, hold out. <laughs> they should make it public so you can rent it, and try it out, use it. Yeah, uh, just fight, man, <laughs> fight off some conquistadors or you know whatever ails you. I won't tell you who to fight with. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that this one. Um, the one that was in Madrid was it, it you, you can see it. It's um, in uh, etchings like it, it was before photography. So there's only sort of drawings of what it looked like. And it was giant. It was like a long sword, Mahiwato, which is which is un, which like there's a lot of debate on what it was, like if it was only for ceremonial or if the person drawing it just made a mistake with the scale. Because mm-hmm. um, the most of the ones, they're one handed. You could just hand it, hold it in one hand and it's like almost like a big bat. Um, but this one, it was like a two-handed one. It was like almost like a spear, like a long sword. Oh, there's another um, explanation, of course. What is it? Oh, giant. it's for a giant. Yeah, I, <laughs> I knew where that was going. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but does the there... large Mexican sword prove that giants were prevalent in South America, as some ancient astronaut theorists suggest? <laughs> Oh God, they would. Oh, I shouldn't tell ancient aliens about this story. <laughs> Do not would. listen to this alien guy. <laughs> Get out of our podcast. He he got famous recently because he um there was an episode that circulated around where he's talking about the a penis sheath or something on like a statue, and he's like, I don't think it's a penis sheath. I think it is a rocket. <laughs> and it's like okay, I sure. think it is both, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was the cool story. The the sorry last what would it be? The last surviving authentic pre-Columbian Mahiquatl was unveiled. Well, that's very awesome. cool. That's yeah. really cool. That's like a legendary artifact. Yeah, and it's like I'm. It makes me be hopeful for the future artifacts that will be uncovered, like in like museums. Excalibur. Excal. Yeah, Excalibur. Like, um, there's a whole bunch of like uh, famous speeches that just happened to survive because like they were used to wrap a mummy in the text that was thrown away or something like that. So it's interesting thinking about all the lost things that could be still lingering around in obscure places. I think that's one of the main theses of the show is we want to know all the stuff that we forgot about. Yes, we want to know all the cool. Tell us everything. Now it's time for another Plastic Please Sort podcast interview.
Okay, and now we have uh, Sharon A. Hill on our show, who is a skeptical researcher and writer, and I believe a geologist. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I am a geologist in my day job, but <clears throat> for what that means for me right now is I write a lot of policy and regulations. So mm -hmm. I'm not really I'm not like out in the field or anything, sure. but I do like that. So I like to write and. Um, because I'm a geologist, I've always been, and I've always been interested in paranormal type themes. Um, my most recent project is something called Spooky Geology, which is the intersection of paranormal ideas and geology, which nobody has really ever done before. They've never really incorporated those two things and mashed them up together in the way that I did. And being, being a geologist, I feel like I have a, a bit more credibility in that sense. So it's been a lot of fun to do that. But in, in, my previous projects, I've done a lot with general anomalous natural phenomenon. So all types of 40 and things I've, I've written about. I've written for 40 and times a couple of times. Um, I used to be a scientific consultant for the uh, Center for Inquiry, you know, PSYCOP people. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I'd been pretty much in the skeptical community or active in it since about 2000. And when I first discovered that there was an active community there, but um things kind of went sour a bit in, in that, in that community. Yeah. And, and so, I started to do other different things, but I've always been interested in, in lots of different paranormal topics. So mm. do you still choose to use the word skeptic or do you try to find another way to describe yourself? I do not use it because I yeah. think it's got very negative connotations. And I actually even wrote like a blog post about it. Mm, I, it was a couple of years ago. I think it was 2018. I wrote it because I was, I was still pegged as a quote skeptic and mm. I was getting a bit of shit for it from, from, you know, the 40 and people saying, mm -hmm. well, you're a skeptic and you know, you've got a history with James Randi and Psychop and, and all these people. And as if I was tainted in my view. That's and unfortunate. Yeah. And it, so it, it didn't really help me because um, even though I still subscribe to the skeptical way of thinking, you know, you should, you sure. should use critical thinking and you should examine the evidence and you should, you know, go with the consensus and things like that. Um, I still felt very tainted by the association with people like Richard Dawkins and uh, Michael Shermer and people like that mm -hmm. who have, you know, they've, they've not come out so well in the past couple of years. They've done some kind of dumb things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I, I have a hard time with it myself. Um, for example, I, I still choose to call myself a skeptic because I think it's hard to get around and change the word sometimes because people kind of think, well, you are, though, aren't you? Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I choose to use it and try to move it towards more where I'd like it to have been, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but but I agree it can be difficult because, you know, like when I was coming out as an atheist um, and I was learning more about science and skepticism. I, of course, like read Dawkins books and I, I found them really illuminating and interesting. And mm -hmm. I liked a lot of the work he has done. but you know, in his old age, especially on social media, I, it is hard to be an apologist for some things that he says. And mm -hmm. if we want to be a cultural group called skeptics, it, it can be hard when someone in that group says things that you don't agree with. And, um, you know, I don't want to make this too dramatic, but I agree with, uh, Michael Shermer as well, that it is hard when he says certain things. I'm just like, I always just think of his book title, <laughs> why do people believe strange things? And then he defends like outlandish mm -hmm. right wing or like regressive points. And I'm just like, well, how are you coming to this, man? Well, and sometimes right. it makes it like um, 
like with Richard Dawkins, people think of like skeptic and it's like you're attacking it and you have like this anger, hatred against the thing you're talking about. Exactly. Not necessarily just dis- like the ev- looking at the evidence. Yeah. What I was, what I was experiencing was that that label would precede me and color everything that I was going to say. If it came to a piece of writing or my point of view or a podcast interview or something like that, they would assume a whole lot before they talked to me about it. And I'm very in the middle. I mean, one of the things that we did a lot in, in this, me and my friends that I was acquainted with in the skeptical community was talk about cryptids, but talk about them in the sense that, well, what are people really seeing or what are they experiencing and why do they believe these things and how are the cultural aspects uh, working to define these these mysteries and we were completely brushed off well that's Mm. stupid what are you what are you studying that stuff for that's these people are just ignorant and dumb hicks yeah i remember that i remember there being the like skeptics should stop talking about bigfoot so much and talk about war and like um uh, breast exams right and feminism and yeah 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 and i was like well this is hard because um we can care about those things, you know, like I'm pretty socially liberal, but it's hard being skeptical about social things because we can't analyze them the same way. Mm. Um, we, we can talk about Bigfoot, not because like we're super obsessed with Bigfoot, but it's just a really powerful myth that people have a lot of opinions on. And there's a lot of like ideas you can bounce off it. So like I try to talk about it as a springboard. And is that kind of how you use cryptics as well? Other than the fact that they're interesting. Um, I don't talk too much about cryptozoology very much anymore, even though I find yeah. myself doing it on occasion, because I had kind of a bad experience. And I think that it it wore me out a little bit. I got tired of sure. talking about it. Uh, you yeah. know, I talked, I did a lot of work on um, cryptid news stories, like mm-hmm. sightings when I, sure. when I was doing doubtful news. And that was a daily thing of looking at the news and, and examining claims of people who saw Bigfoot or a dog man or Chupacabra or whatever it was. Yeah. And I just could not deal with the amount of crap that that people from both sides gave me. I mean, the skeptical (laughs) people gave me crap. The believing people gave me crap. I could not win. I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere with this. The internet can be a hard place. Yeah. But (laughs) I wasn't uh, enjoying it. So it was was kind of no fun. So you pivoted to geology, spooky geology, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to sort of do something new and different and something that distanced myself. Yeah, it seems like nobody really has talked about like these um, in- interesting examples of geology and and uh, I'm, I'm looking at some of them like the the London Hammer, all those kind of like young Earth creationism kind of stuff. It's interesting. There, when I started thinking about the ideas that I could use for that website, I was overwhelmed with how many ideas there were. Um, you know, you could go into not only alternative ideas about geology, which are often biblical based or uh, fantasy-based, you know, the Velikovskyism, you know, people th- believed that and people believed in, um, you know, hollow earth and, and, and weird geology old, stuff. Like old that. earth theory. The <laughs> exactly. All, all that stuff was, there was so much. And then there was, uh, there was just plain old weird anomalies that people attributed to uh, folklore, like, you know, fairy stones or things like, you know, weird, weird gemstone uh, features or folklore that was related to rocks or places or places in particular. There's so many paranormal places and so mm. many ideas related to the geology of a place that people have interpreted as paranormal. Yeah. One of the, the main uh, topics I wanted to do when I went 
and started Spooky Geology, I eventually got to, and it's probably one of the most popular on the site other than dowsing, is um, the stone tape theory of, of hauntings. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with I, that? I, I'm actually not familiar. I, I yeah. kind of don't like ghosts, so I don't know that oh, yes, much about ghosts. True. So, <laughs> Well, this Look is kind here. of interesting. Yeah. Okay, I love to hear it. Well, it's a very sciencey sounding idea because it sounds geological and most people don't know a thing about geology, mineralogy, uh, mm. the geology of the rock underneath them. So it's easy for somebody who doesn't know to just say, oh, yeah, this is limestone and mm. limestone um, ha- has electrical properties and it could you know cause haunting experiences and all this crap that sounds scientific to me it does <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a particular point was I, I live not too far from the gettysburg battlefield in pennsylvania so i'd gone there quite frequently and was familiar with the draw that that place has to ghost yeah. hunters and ghost mm. hunters typically use the idea of the stone tape there in gettysburg saying well there's quartz in the rock and the quartz has special properties that can cause, you know, uh, uh, the whole quantum and electrical frequency business. And that could that could make the ghosts that they could make the ghost appear because they are a recording of the emotional energy that was released during the trauma. And what kind of energy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it's what are you talking known, about? Right? You just you, say it. It's a great word. It's just crazy. It's like, well, you can't measure any energy that leaves the body when they're emotionally upset or dying. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. How does it get, not even the fact that it gets recorded, how the hell does that happen? And then how does it get played back? Sure. So you have, like you were, you know, you can, you can tell you keep building these goofy ideas on top of one another and they don't make any sense. Yeah. So nobody yeah. had really taken a look at it. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And man, I spent probably a year reading and there wasn't a whole lot of literature on it, but actually it went back all the way to psychometry. Uh, mm. You know, the idea where you can hold something and get psychic feelings off of it. You know, like a psychic will hold a piece of an object from somebody who's missing. Yeah, James Randi had some people on the game show tried to do that, I believe. It was it was so common. Yeah. It's been common yeah. since the Victorian age. And mm. the idea of the stone tape, I think, really came from that. And the idea of, like, environmental fields recording. So it was water or air or humidity, ley all lines. sorts of things. Uh, ley lines plays into it. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, – it, it, it evolves. These ideas just play off of each Definitely. other and they evolve. Mm. So. That was a that was a fun thing to do, and then I did a video on it as well, and that, that got a lot of hits as well. Is that on YouTube? Yep. Hey. Yeah, so people can go check that out there. Trey's a big YouTuber guy. I'm not into it too much. It, I, I, I sympathize. It takes an awful long time to do yeah. these videos. <laughs> an awful long time. It, and, and then sometimes when like you're editing it and you put all the time in, into making the pictures and stuff, and you get messages from people that are like, "Oh yeah, I like." They're really good to put on when I'm like driving or when I'm like falling asleep and you're like, oh, so I didn't have to edit all the video stuff. You could have just done the audio. (laughs) Yeah. I like YouTube as, as a medium, but it is sometimes difficult to, to say what you need to say um, Mm. in, in that way and, and be, you know, legal, you know, not, not use people's images or, you know, be, be, be cognizant of the things that you're, you're using, but that's the way you reach people. And yeah. I was told that, you know, blogs are kind of on the downslide. People aren't reading blogs anymore. Mm. So you have to kind of reframe things and, and try different means of outreach to people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I like Twitter. I've been on Twitter for, you know, forever and that's okay. But I noticed that. So you're you know, one of the few people that like Twitter, huh? I, Most of us are on it because of obligation. <laughs> right, right. It, but I, I was on it pretty much since the beginning. Yeah. And I built up a following of about 7,000 people. But yet if I tweet something, like the response rate is literally 0.1%. Yeah, I definitely so have that. Because, you know, I'm a comic book writer, but then I also do skepticism. I also do like some environmental activism. But I also like wrote some things for a video game. So all my followers are completely mixed. Like I have a bunch of old biologists that follow me that have, <laughs> don't care about my comics at all. And the comic <laughs> people don't care about my environmental posts at all. So it's it's a weird mix. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So one thing I was thinking, like, it, it's interesting, like we've had this attachment to stones and rare metals for so long. Right. Like people would find gems and they're very common in folklore. And mm-hmm. it's almost like we just want them to be something that they're not. And we're but we have turned them into something, right? Like a lot of these rare earth rare earth minerals we've turned into our phones and our computers. And so in that way they have almost a magical property. Like science and engineering did make something out of them, but that's just not enough for some people. They want them to be able to record energy or spirits or make you stronger or better, or, you know, or happier. It, yeah. it's interesting that it's not enough for people, I guess. I never thought of it that way. Um, You know, generally people aren't well versed on natural history and scientific explanations for nature. So they, they make up the best that they can. That's why we have all this folklore about places and why um, things in the environment look the way they do. We have beautiful stories and legends about natural things because we, we want to explain them and we can't. So we put these magical properties on them. Uh, when when I do spooky geology pieces, I talk about the folklore and about the myth. But honestly, you know, the, the natural history is really fascinating Definitely. by itself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing. But and I, I would I would hope that people would appreciate that. Well, yeah, the reason why you're having a sinkhole is not because, you know, you're unlucky. Or, you know, something bad has happened. That, that it's it, a ghost curse. Obviously. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, that, it's not that. It's or that that somebody did something down the street that's affecting you and, and they're, they're responsible for that. But there are natural reasons why this is. And you know what? If you look throughout history, you can figure out that this area was was well known to be dangerous to build on because sinkholes pop up, you know, things like that. Yeah. People don't realize those things. And um, I talk. I, not so much anymore, but I do. I did talk a lot to the public about geological stuff, and I realized that they they were really interested in finding out the truth sometimes, mm. but they were loaded with misinformation. Yeah. So trying to undo that is super tough. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine. Like um, one thing that's really stuck out to me is like all the weird theories about like Devil's Tower in Wyoming. <laughs> yes. I'm like, it's way too many. It buries <laughs> up everything, and you can't really find like the truth under all like the it's aliens or it's a giant tree stump or crazy. So stuff like w- what are some of the theories and then what is the actual explanation? When I did the piece on devil's tower, I did it because it had been a focus of the UFO community, but it was a very short period of time that it was the focus for the UFO community. You know, there was the whole close encounters thing, which mm-hmm. was actually really interesting why they picked that location and things like that. And then oh, I think it was like, 2016, 17, somewhere around there, it was, they had a UFO festival there. 
Um, but it wasn't really a place that attracted UFO proponents. And then the, the festival went off. They didn't come back. And it was while I was doing that video when I discovered the giant tree stump. I had not heard that before. Yeah, the um, like no real tree theory or something like that. That was bizarre. <laughs> and I looked at it. I was like, wow, that I can see why people would think that, but it's really wrong. Um, <laughs> the mythology was that it was it, it was a giant horn. That was another mm -hmm. good one. Um, but the the. The, the native story was that it was a tower that the ground was raised because these children were being chased by a giant bear and they prayed to the gods. And then the gods lifted the land up as the tower and the scratches of the bear's claws are what caused the tower to have those striations on the side. Mm, it's a beautiful a cool story. story. It's beautiful. Um, and the, the children, there's different variations of it. The children, I guess, be eventually became stars in the sky or something like that. So the it's a pretty big bear. It was a really giant bear. Yeah. So if I were, if I were the gods, I would deal with the bear really than just move <laughs> the people. I was like, this is a problem, right? It's a cool story. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't really try to make sense out of those stories. No. They're just stories. Um, but they you're were supposed to tell them the kid's supposed to go to bed, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no question and answer part after these <laughs> right, kinds of stories. It just stories. is. It is yeah. a just so story. Um, the real answer is that and a lot of people will say that it's a it, it's an extinct volcano and it's actually not it never was a volcano. It was just sort of the magma got stuck mm. in the throat of, uh, you know, a volcanic complex and it just uh, cooled there. Mm. And just like mud cracks, when things cool, they form these hexagonal type patterns and the, the magma does the same thing if it cools slowly enough and it's the right kind, basalt-like magma. And it makes these beautiful step-like uh, columns. And, you know, you can see it in other parts of the world, too, like the Giant's Causeway, which has a lot of mythology associated with it. Devil's mm. Post Pile, also nearby in California, same, same deal. You know, people thought that it was magical because they couldn't figure out how this could be natural. It looked created. So Yeah, I, like Monument Money, Money Valley has that kind of look to it, too. Lots of places do. Yeah. It's, it's hard for people to imagine. Um, I just finished a, a post about hell. And a lot of it had to do with volcanoes and how the, the natives would, would think, well, they didn't have a logical explanation for that. It must be something that some god created mm -hmm. to to help or hurt us. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting now, like trying to think back to how you would possibly describe these phenomenon without all the information we have. Right? Exactly. Like, you can't imagine. Yeah. 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 So the, the, and I have so much more to do on, I've done a lot, but I have so much more to do and I try to do the fun things that I'm interested in mm. or, or that I could get to. Like I went to, I'm not far from the ringing rocks uh, park uh, near the Delaware river. So I went there and I played with the rocks and I banged on the rocks and some of them rang like bells. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and why I, does it do that? Is it's obviously it's makeup. Well, it? It, it's quite curious because if you sit there and you watch people just wander around, they will think that they've got a good rock and they'll ding it and it just goes clunk. Mm -hmm. And they'll do the next one. It'll go ring and they'll get so excited <laughs> to have hit, that's, that's hit the clanger. That's it, awesome. it, it really was. It was. People were so excited about this. But there's nothing on the site that explains why the rocks do this. And they had a hard time actually figuring it out. Um, I've I've come across a couple of rocks and just in regular uh, travels where I've hit it and I was like, whoa, that just rang and I didn't expect it. It's because some rocks have um, 
a certain mineralogy and these rocks in particular at this ringing rocks park have that they were exposed to the sun and uh, there's no vegetation around them for, for various reasons. You know, it's the way the rocks eroded, but there's no vegetation Mm -hmm. there. So they're not shaded. They're, they're exposed to the sun and they're Mm -hmm. exposed to the elements. So the, there's a mineral crust that forms on the rocks. That's intention because Mm -hmm. of the, the minerals that are, are, are formed from the, the, the elements, you know, they change over time. So there's like these m- minerals that are formed that cause a tension in the rock and it radiates that, that um, percussion around and makes that ringing sound. And if you break the rocks, usually you've, you've broken the spell, so to speak, and it doesn't ring anymore. Or if you stick the rocks in shade, they don't ring anymore either. Well, yeah, a- as you know, a writer, a storyteller, like you can just imagine if you don't know anything about you know the chemical makeup of the rock, like you just have to think of a story, like why yeah. some rocks sing, right? Yeah, like they have to mean something. So, like, uh, I don't know. All this stuff's really beautiful to me. I, I love yeah. those kind of mystery things. That, like they're just on the outside of nature. Like they're they're obviously material have material explanations, but like they just like beg your mind to mm-hmm. make up stories for them. I, I like that you um, visited the actual site and like did some kind of like experiments with the rocks itself and observed yeah. it. I think that's really awesome. It's it's quite important, especially when you're talking about the the story of a place because the place has a lot to do with it. That you go there and you experience the atmosphere and what mm. it has a lot to do with it. What it feels like to be in a field of just really hot rock just be the sun's just beating back at you and it feels surreal because there's no birds flying over um there's no insects there because there's nothing for them to you know go to there's no plants there's no flowers there's no shade Mm. so things like that and it feels a little eerie and you can you can unpack that if you want to but most people just like to enjoy the the mystery sense of it which Mm. is okay that's cool i did that with um uh uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Like I made a video about it, and then I actually visited it, and it, it com- like didn't completely change my opinion of it, but it was a different experience being out there and seeing what the forest is like and the feel of it, um, and actually experiencing it. Yeah, I had planned to go there uh, a couple years ago, but a hurricane came through for the Mothman Festival, and I decided oh. not to risk it. So I never did make it down there. I've been to West Virginia, but not to that part of West Virginia, and. Um, yeah, that's that's still on my list of things to do. Oh, it's we've not really yet. talked about Mothman yet on this show. We'll have to eventually. But Mothman is it's a controversial cryptid. Some people yeah. will argue that it's not a cryptid, and some people will argue about what it is and what it isn't. And yeah, that's that's a lot to unpack <laughs> with that one. We try to keep it. Unless there's a special guest, about thirty percent cryptids on the show. We watch like a Monster Quest at the end. Yeah, we we try to talk about you know different things and not just cryptids all the time. But. Did they do Monster Quest on Mothman? I don't they remember. Did. Yeah, they must have. Yeah. I mean, so the one we're doing this time is Russian Killer Apes. So <laughs> the fact that that exists, I mean, they definitely is a Mothman. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Monster Quest is fun. Mon- yeah, I've started watching them so I could could. Um, relate to what you're saying. I started going oh, back and rewatching. Well, that's it fun. Yeah, uh, we we had Doug Hudjek on the guy who created it, and he's right. a very interesting fellow, very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he he reminds me a lot of the character in the beginning of Carl Sagan's, you know, Demon Haunted World, 
where the, the like Carl Sagan meets the taxi driver and the taxi driver's like, Oh, you're a scientist? He's like, I want to know all about Atlantis, you know, and like <laughs> like all about all about the face on Mars. Like these things are awesome. Like the guy's curious and he wants to know things. He has a legitimate desire to understand things, but like it's just like misplaced where the interesting information is coming from. Right. Like where right. to get it, you know. Monster Quest had a huge influence on today's view of cryptozoology. Huge. Um, you know, my generation, it was in search of mm-hmm. that we watched that when we dad. were kids. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty I'm I'm older than you guys. And, and I remember that, you know, in search of led to things like in later years, um, unsolved mysteries and sightings, uh, those those types of programs. But Monster Quest was the first one that focused on um, cryptids. And so are, you, are you Gen X then? Yes, I'm a Gen X. Okay, so mm-hmm. we got yeah, we got Gen X millennial and a Zoomer on here. So we got to cover it. Yeah, <laughs> the the allegiance. <laughs> and we're the good ones. Just forget the boomers yeah. because they're annoying. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm Gen X because I grew up in a small town poor, right? So like I got all my media like four or five years late, right? Right. I, like I get all the VHSs and like I, I grew up with a Super Nintendo instead of a PlayStation when it first came out, like. You know, like I had like all the grunge music and all the VHS passed down to me. So I feel like I live a little bit more in the past than I actually am. So, yes. Well, Gen X is the greatest generation. I I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not technically part of it, but I'm biased. It it is weird because, you know, my kids, my two kids grew up not ever knowing anything but computers. It was always there. Whereas Mm. I learned um, actually, you know, it was like, thank God, 1992 three i think it was where we started getting computers in in our office and um i would sign on to these mailing lists and one of the first mailing lists i signed up for which is like we didn't have anything that was like facebook or or things like that was the dinosaur mailing list oh that sounds like the best of all mailing lists i think it's i think it's still going i'm I'm not sure but it was at the time it was my way to talk to you know darren nash and tom holtz and you know people like i'm still acquainted with today which yeah. is really cool. It was it was really neat. So I'm I'm glad I got to experience I, uh, that. I messaged Trey the other day. I'm like, I found some ancient manuscripts, and Trey's like, "What? That's awesome!" Oh, and I thought I it was like, some... I thought it was an yeah. actual like archaeology find. I was like, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> no, no, I sent him some GeoCities and Angel Fire sites. <laughs> <laughs> I was like so confused. I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> I was like, "This is how it was back in the day, man." I would spend there... hours just googling. Well, it wasn't Google at the time, but. Uh, it was Netscaping, you know, those that kind yeah. of stuff and looking that up. It was great. It was so much I, I fun. remember finding sites with pictures of cryptids on them and I hadn't, you had no way to debunk them. Someone's like, man, I took this picture and it's real. I'm like, what? That's that's a real picture? Are you kidding me, man? I'm 11 years old. I don't have a critical thinking toolbox to deal with it. I got to go find that thing. Yeah, that was oh, Those were the days. Yeah. The, the early age of the Internet. Like, I remember when I was at like really early YouTube like um oh gosh like 2007 or 8 um they would have like these really bizarre videos would be like uh mysterious creature list and it would have like a yep. metallica song in the background yep. or something and just yeah. have like, in- random man. pictures yep. yeah <laughs> it would be like a, changed it would I'm be sorry. like a guitar fish <laughs> zoomed in like just their face or <laughs> oh that's funny yeah i yeah. think um it seems like the two that are growing are Bigfoot and UFO and I guess ghosts. I try not to pay attention to ghosts. Um, you, that's that's for the best. 
Yeah. So you spent a lot of time with that, right? The ghost thing? I did. So when I went back to grad school, uh, I did my uh, master's degree in education focusing on science and the public. Hmm. It was pertinent to my work, but it was also something I was really passionate about. And I wanted to be able to explain scientific concepts in a, in a way that the public would understand. I wanted to make that relationship, you know, science communication. So I wanted to do a thesis project that was actually interesting, that I would be get some mileage out of it. So I, I looked at amateur paranormal investigators and how they studied things that were supposed they thought were science or they thought mm. they were doing science, but when what what did what were they really doing and why were they doing it? So what I did was I I looked at one thousand websites of paranormal uh, investigators. A thousand. I, I went oh I my gosh. a thousand sites. <laughs> and I had a form. So I would click off the checkboxes for whatever they had on their site. If they studied ghosts, if they studied uh, cryptids, mostly they were Bigfoot, but some of them would would do like any weird animal that you report, they would go out and investigate it. And some of them did UFOs. And a few did things like Fordian general Fordian type phenomenon or, or psychic, you know, claims and things like that. But I think it was like 70% of them were basically ghost hunters. And at that time, around 2000, you had the proliferation of, you know, air quote, reality TV ghost, ghost hunting sure. shows. So mm -hmm. they blew up at that time. And then that, that spun off to things like cryptid shows, like Finding Bigfoot and, and all sorts of mystery type shows presented as science-y documentaries uh, that happened through through that time, and, and then you had that transition to YouTube, where a lot of people just made their own shows directly to to YouTube or Amazon Prime or things like that. So then it got really, it just was too much to even think about. But I, I looked at what these mainly ghost hunters, but also cryptozoology and ufology people were doing and their methods for doing these investigations. And what I found is that about sixty percent of them said that they were scientific. Mm -hmm. And none of them were, <laughs> I mean, according, <laughs> according to scientific standards, you know, that I, I, I pulled my, um, my Zeman book, real science and, and looked at, uh, the, what, what could qualify as science. Okay. Well, you know, peer review, you're, you're publishing your information to other people and they're peer reviewing it, or you're doing it as a community, you're sharing it, your information with others and you're getting a better idea of what's happening and you're repeating experiments and all these they were doing none of that. They weren't. Yeah. None of that. I definitely that. don't repeat experiments, right? It's never like, oh, I think I found a phenomenon with my phenomenon finder. Let's send somebody else in cold and see if they find the same phenomenon in the same place, right? They like, never do that. Yeah. yeah I'm not aware of that ever happening. Of course, I try not to pay attention to this stuff, but it was kind <laughs> you know. of it was kind of stunning how how little they did, mm. um, and where they got that information from, like what does it mean to be scientific? Cause they said they were was because they saw people that they thought were scientists on TV. So they would see fictional TV shows and say, Oh, well, the scientist has to go in and set up lots of equipment and plug in all these wires and have blinky things. And that's what it means to do science. And seriously, <laughs> that's what they thought it was. It was don't look into the trap, Ray. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm opening that trap now. Don't look directly into the trap. <laughs> I looked at the trap, Ray. It was amazing how influenced they were by things like Ghostbusters. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it seems reductive just to say that. It, like, I almost don't want to because it seems insulting. But, like, I think that that's, like, got to be a significant portion of why it is the way it is. Yeah. Mm. And they, some people just admitted it. 
they they said, well, we watch Ghost Hunters on TV and we just do what they do. Well, well they're not Dan scientists. Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd would be proud, right? Because like he, <laughs> he he did not create Ghostbusters as a silly comedy. He believes right. this stuff. It's true. So yeah, yeah. So that, so I ended up making a you know a book out of that work. And um, is that on um, being scientifical, right? That's scientifical Americans, because okay. to me, I focused on the U.S. It was happening in Britain as well. Sure. It probably happened first in Britain because of the most haunted TV show that got really popular and kind of uh, bled over here a little bit. And mm. um, that idea that the people, Americans in particular, wanted to look scientific because it got them street cred. It made them impressive to their clients and um they were doing really well at it people were believing what they were telling them they were and it got to the point where they would believe them if they said your house is infested with demons okay i guess i gotta move i mean it was that bad (laughs) and uh this book you can buy on uh, amazon and it's with prime so you should check that out yep yep it it gets Uh, me a few cents every month yeah (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) So like, there's such a like, X Files is almost like the uh, culmination of this whole wide net of Americans like doubts and insecurities and desires for there to be things that people claim that can't be proven. Like, like why do you think this all happened? That like X X Files can like tell a story of like thirty or forty years of American like um, paranormal and paranoia. And like go for seven seasons. Like, how is there that much content? I think it's there's a lot of factors at play. There's definitely a lot of cultural factors at play. It was just the time where people were becoming sort of disillusioned with science. We were really disillusioned with government and Mm. what authorities in general were telling us. And people, yeah, because you have Nixon, right? And then, yes, yes, yes. After Nixon, then you have Reagan, who like is this taller different style of government that I don't think really worked. And I think nineties kids kind of saw that and didn't know where their place maybe in government was. Absolutely. I think it yeah. in general, there was this distrust of authority across the board. We just weren't being served by our leadership at all. Hmm. And scientists did not do a good job of relating to the public. They became a very, from the beginning, science was a very closed neighborhood. You didn't have a degree or you didn't have credentials. You weren't allowed in it. You yeah. weren't allowed in the club. And I feel that. I mean, I'm a pretty low class person myself, you know, so like I, I definitely feel that. It's still and, around and today. Yeah. It's yeah. something, you know, I try, I try to read and research and be as educated as I can, you know, and I have taken many classes in biology and anthropology, but like I don't have a degree. And so, like, you know, I, I always feel kind of left out myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are scientists and stuff, but even I feel that. So, yeah. So it was so professionalized that the, the um, non professional wasn't allowed in. And the scientists did not do a great job of explaining what they were doing and, and how they did it, especially. What what did science mean to the average person? Nobody knew. It became yeah. like technology. Oh, what science gave us this cool gadget. Well, that's not really what, yeah. what it's all about. People so, associate science with the engineering that's the result of the science. Exactly. You know? Products yeah. and, and things like that. And so there really was this disconnect between um, science and the public and this distrust of government. And I think that for some reason, you know, those those topics of aliens and UFOs and weird things just caught on, caught fire. Mm. Yeah, I guess maybe you could summarize that. Like, um, 
I think a lot of cryptids are grief for the death of the frontier. And then you have um, death of the trust in the government. So it kind of becomes an, oh, there actually are things out there still. And the government's lying about it, you know, yeah. kind of like breeds those two like multi-generational American fears together into one thing. So. I think so. Yeah. So, and you know, people want magic in their lives. They want things to be enchanted. So, you know, there was this idea of disenchantment of society because science was going to make everything normal and natural. And that didn't happen because people love their magical thinking. They're mm. not going to give it up. It was funny talking to one of my relatives about like uh, the archaeology work I've done. And, um, and she believes in, um, she watch a, watches a lot of like Oak Island curse of yeah. oak island kind of stuff and it's like when i talk about my work she just like completely like like kind of drone drones off like because it's not <laughs> that interesting it's like i'm not looking for the ark of the covenant or anything <laughs> like that <laughs> like that's her view of archaeology is like you're looking for like the lost shakespeare manuscript or whatever whatever the mystery is yeah. yeah, that's really sad. Um, you know, I'd recommend the book Spooky Archaeology by my friend Jeb Card because it covers things like that. It's like why archaeology looks is 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 the way it is to the public. Mm. Why has this happened to us? And <laughs> he kind of explains those things in terms of Indiana Jones and Egypt and mummies and and all sorts of things. It's like, where did we go wrong? <laughs> If you're not talking about like if your research doesn't mention like Vikings, Egypt, <laughs> um, like the Bible, people aren't interested in it. Nobody's yeah. interested in it. And it's sad because you see I see with um, my relative is that she's interested in like the research. It's just not like she's interested in a very select type of it, I guess, and not the sort of the um, sensationalized version of it. Yeah, I, I did. um an article oh, many years ago where I interviewed a professor who was teaching his, his undergrad students um, something like science and society or something like that. And, you know, he would ask them, you know, what do you think science does for you? And their most interested subjects were um, food, exercise, and sex. <laughs> and that's what they wanted to know about that. What, what can science tell me about these things? You know, my diet, my, my lifestyle type stuff. Mm. And it turned out that if you did reach them on those topics and say, well, here's what scientific study says about these things that you're really interested in. They grasped the concept of how science works much better huh. and could apply it better across the board to other things like important health information that you're getting that people aren't getting right now, you know, or right. things like health climate science change. is hard to yeah. Google too. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So I, I, I think that we do have a disconnect with uh, kids today where they don't understand that science is important and why, why it's mm. important. And if we can I, only teach those things, that'd be great. <laughs> I, I have this fear that um, there isn't a good answer to totally like improving science communication because like you have to assume some of the most highly motivated people to listen the science communication are people who are suffering from an invisible plague that's killing them. Um, this is true. And, and you take some of the best people in that field and you spend a lot of money on trying to amplify their communication to the people. And yet there's massive amount of disinformation and hate and just like kind of like vandalism on most of their points. Mm -hmm. um, and people don't listen to it. So it, it just may be that you know, nuanced things don't carry well 
and science is kind of necessarily nuanced. And so we have like an essential problem. It's not just that like we're not doing good enough of a job, but I fear that maybe there isn't a way to do a good enough of a job. That doesn't mean we can't improve. I'm not trying to be totally pessimistic about it, but I worry about that. Yeah. And I've heard some skeptical advocates say, well, we need more science education. We need more chemistry classes, blah, blah, blah. No, we don't. We absolutely don't need that because people aren't going to become chemists. Yeah, They need to, they need to have like a science appreciation class. And you know what, if we have to do that in terms of UFOs and Bigfoot and fun topics like that, let's do it. These, these science of students, pseudoscience classes um, work pretty well and kids love them. So they can't hurt. And it's, it seems there's um, a move back to like, so you probably know, of course, but like in history, there's like the traditional, like great man history. Right. And then there's like revisionism history. They're like, well, what about everybody else? And then there's like the more modern history. They're like, well, let's talk about everything because everything's complex and contextual. It, it seems like a lot of science communication has tried to go back to great man history where they amplify the great men and women in science and kind of like make them into important characters and their particular deeds to try to get a more human face on it. Like, do, do you think that that is a good approach or, or is that going to work? Uh, it's not it's not an approach that I'd be interested in because yeah. I'm not that interested in the people as much as I am in what you know the the world is like sure. but I mean it it is good it would it's nice to know that there were actually women involved in some actual scientific discoveries because we've been marginalized for so long definitely but I don't like the idea of making heroes out of people because that that never works well <laughs> people in the past yeah yeah <laughs> It can be tricky, too, because then you kind of fudge a little bit to make people sound better or worse, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it happened with, the like, the discovery of the double helix, you know? It's like, oh, a yeah. couple of the people say things we don't like now, and so we try to amplify the voice we do like to make them more important or make other people less important. I'm like, well, we should just tell the true story, you know? Like, all these people did important things to help discover the double helix in their own way. It doesn't matter if we like them or not now, like, you know? History can be messy that way. Yeah, it can be messy for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you, Sharon, though, on the idea that there should be more science appreciation, like a love for science itself, because like chemistry classes and like physics classes are pretty boring. They're pretty yeah. dry. <laughs> like it just, it's, it's not going to work. Math, yeah. The math doesn't get people. But personally, right. I, I like the idea of being like, hey, here's this thing that isn't intuitive. And we all know the answer to it now. How do you think we figured it out? Mm-hmm. Like, because like when Carl Sagan does the um, explains how some um, oh God, I'm sounding stupid. I don't remember all the details, but um, the story of figuring out the world is around based on like the sticks and the shadows, right? Oh yeah, um, that's I that's should, great. Yeah, I, I I should know who this is. Uh, um, Eratosthenes. Yes, thank you, Trey, uh, for your education. Um, <laughs> Go yeah, so like when he explains this, like people share this GIF all the time, and it gets a lot of retweets from a lot of different groups. I think because people are like, oh. That's how someone figured it out. That's really cool. It, it seems human. It seems doable. And like you learn the process. I think yeah. that probably helps because when people are like, oh, these people that are really good at math figured out things because of math. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> I can't do that. Right. You know, right. but if you're like, hey, there's a process that you can be a part of that lots of people have done for a long time. And this process together narrows in on answers that your intuition can't get alone. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's like a that's like a social power you're teaching people, like how to interact with other humans to understand the universe in an interesting way. Yeah, that's also nothing but good if you get people to get together to do that. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. It it definitely is a problem, and I I hope that um somebody maybe they could use science to figure it out. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> use science yeah. to figure out how to teach science. Yeah, you're right. It's not not an easily solvable problem, where we would have solved it by now. Yeah. Where do you um uh, think this is all going to be going in the next few years? I know you can't predict the future, obviously, but like you know, we we kind of go through waves of stuff. Like I feel like probably during the Trump years, like um talks about like the typical skeptical topics kind of waned. Mm-hmm. I know like 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 atheism conversations and stuff on the internet kind of waned. I think there's like a big focus on like political discourse and the culture war. Yeah. I, like maybe now that like the impending collapse of the American government isn't floating over everybody's heads, um, that there can be more talk about like scientific issues and, you know, actual science. Um, do you think that that might happen or do you think that like the current culture war will continue to dominate the conversation? Yeah. I'm not a generally optimistic person, (laughs) so I don't have a lot of hope for the future. I'm sorry to say, um, I think we're in big trouble, really, really big trouble. I mean, I'm not going to be moving to the Southern United States anytime soon. I'm only going to go North and I'm not going to be investing in, you know, certain companies or certain real estate because I just don't think that the world is going to be the same in, Mm. in 10 years. I think it's going to be bad and I think we're going to suffer. And so, you know, I, I don't know. People are unpredictable. We could come up with some kind of breakthrough and, and culture could shift again. It would be nice. Uh, I'd like to hold out that hope. Um, you know, when I saw the the the, the skeptical uh, focus, you know, at one time we were talking about things like, oh, you know, alternative medicines are bad and here's why you should be pro-vax and things like that. And then they never did anything with that. There was yeah. never a strong enough community or focus or will or money or whatever it was to make an impact on the public view of those things. But they were perfectly positioned to do that and they failed. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely failed. I mean, we didn't decrease the use of acupuncture or trust and like, you know, the food is medicine argument that people have been making for the last 10 years. Like we did not really make inroads on those things. I don't think. No, and we still have, you know, bogus cancer cures, and we still have people dying because they're not vaccinated, and we still have people using horse dewormer instead of, you know, modern medicine. I was so yeah. s- silly. I don't know that we're ever going to get past uh, convincing maybe the last 20% of the population to not be stupid and, and you know, to try to make reasonable decisions. We're never going to get there. The anti-vax thing is so interesting to me because, you know, like, as as you know, like, for a long time, like, a lot of the thought leaders and organizers in this group were moms, you know, like, they mm-hmm. were the people kind of in charge of the anti-vax. I mean, there's always been, like, Christians and there's been men in it as well, but, like, women were a major source of the anti-vax movement, a lot of nurses and moms. And now, like, a lot of men, more conservative men, typically, are, like, more in control and are gaining in numbers in the anti-vax movement. And like, it's interesting how like the culture the last few years has had so much more sway and we've had almost no sway. The anti-vax movement used to be on the left, on the liberal. And and now it's shifted almost entirely. No, I shouldn't say entirely, um, but a lot to the right. So now it's politically oriented, whereas before it was more, uh, it's like, but the, if you were like a naturalist, you didn't think that vaccines were natural, you know, that you were more of a vegan type, which is definitely a more liberal view. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things have really shifted in strange ways. 
you can't predict that. So who knows what, what could happen? Yeah. I, I just think there's some lesson we can learn there. Cause like obviously people's views can shift. Mm-hmm. Right. So we saw that um, they shifted because of a reason we don't like, you know, but like right. they did shift so that there has to be some lesson in there that we can maybe do better because, you know, like I did some work for a, like some artwork for a popular, um, I won't say who, but science medical group up here in Seattle. Right. And I was happy to do it because, you know, they obviously do good research. Then I found out that they put a bunch of money into acupuncture studies for for cancer. And I felt really guilty working with them. And it made me upset. And I'm just like, why does this happen? Like, why do these people like they have degrees? They're smarter than me. They're scientists. They're researchers. Not me. You know, I'm just a low class writer guy. And like, I, I can read the 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 journals and, and I can listen to the discussions and determine that there's not plausibility here. Like, why do these large groups continue to do this? And what can we do about it? Like, I feel like we have not figured out any solution and. Like you said, we basically failed on these topics, and it's kind of disheartening. Yeah, people are weird. Yeah, I guess it's that's so it, right? tough to figure out. <laughs> Darn people! You can't what does it matter with y'all? <laughs> that's why animal. That's why animals are superior. Yeah, yeah. To, to study and figure out. <laughs> to to quote like one of my always... favorite shows, "People, what a bunch of bastards!" <laughs> <laughs> I've met enough of them. People, what a bunch of bastards! I feel like people always like if you have a group of people and you tell them to do something like there will always be like one or two people that will just refuse to just for no reason other than than that you like told them. It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to help. Well, the joke was that like engineers and physicists are easy to fool because, um, you know, they're not used to people fooling them. You know, they're not working with people. They're they're working with math. Math doesn't lie. Math doesn't lie like the person that you're interviewing is lying to you. So yeah. they're so easily fooled. There's a huh. lot of experts that get fooled by these people. I, I guess you, of course, know this as well because it's psychom, right? But like mm-hmm. these people don't know to look for this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, they, it, it doesn't even register with them. Yeah, they're like, oh, they were lying. <laughs> like, like any, it, it seems like common sense. A person would be like, hey, I'm Mr. Lab Coda. Uh, I think this guy's pulling your leg, you know? <laughs> Like they're like, oh yeah, I didn't check for that. I, I couldn't measure the pulling my leg quotation. Uh, like, it's like, come on, man. Like, we're we're trying to like ramp up science is like the the know all be all of understanding the universe, and and you get lied to by some charlatan. Yeah, yeah, I I got lied to by a lot of skeptics too. You know, it's oh, just yeah. the people. I mean, sure. Yeah, people yeah. have agendas and they have pre-existing beliefs and things like that. And it, yeah, it's it's hard to deal with people. And I'm I'm not really a people person. So, is there any one of your other works that you wanted to bring up? Something you'd want people to know that you're currently working on? Well, every week I do a roundup of the weird news of the week, and, and this is kind of fun for me because I like looking at weird news stories. I, I did um, a website called Doubtful News for like seven or eight years, where I did it daily pretty much looking at all the weird news claims that came out and trying to interject some more reasonable aspect to how the media was covering these stories. Mm -hmm. Everything from ghosts, UFOs, alternative medicine, conspiracies, all such things. That was, that was a lot of fun, but boy, it will wear you down. It sounds exhausting. Yes. (laughs) Well, that was before the Trump years of conspiracy. And, and at the time I quit the website, we already knew that Russia was putting was was peppering our media with stories. It was obvious to us, yeah. but yet that became a new story. Something like two years later, it was like, hey, "Where have you guys been?" <laughs> this is obvious. <laughs> 
So I do it now just for fun. And I mostly focus on um, natural phenomenon that's weird. I don't do conspiracies as much as things like that. So, you know, if there's a fun um, story about, um, I'm trying to think of one that comes up, like just a a weird natural story, say like a weird sighting of an animal or an unusual uh, natural event that happened. I'll I'll focus on that. Maybe getting ate by a whale that happened a while ago. Yes. That was a great story. Yep, exactly. I started it on um, the clubhouse app, but then I realized that that app was doomed. It was really bad. So I didn't, I kind of gave that up and I went to um, a Substack site where I can deliver it straight to people if they want it. They can subscribe or they could go on and they could look it up online. So every Friday, I sort of run down all the news. The best news is kind of curated. I don't give you the crap from the Sun tabloid from the yeah. UK or things like that, <laughs> unless it's really good. And I can you know corroborate it and sure. add something to it. But so that's that's fun for me. And I and I hope it gets people thinking about you know how the media covers weird stuff, because it's kind of interesting how they do it and the yeah, stuff that they I don't do. tell you. <laughs> Sometimes I go from interested to angry on this stuff. Like um, the, the UFO story recently has it got me pretty upset to be honest. Um, the way that they have covered this is the Pentagon mm-hmm. believes there are UFOs, or the Pentagon says they're UFOs. The amount of research that's gone into this is is ridiculous. I I guess maybe it's like the scientists not thinking people were lying to them, but like they didn't research that. You know, there's a lineage between like Robert Bigelow, you know like who believes in the afterlife and spirits and aliens visiting through different dimensions, like getting money to get this little cottage part of the Pentagon, which basically did nothing. And then pretending like them releasing a press release is the Pentagon saying there's aliens like this, that story for those of us who knew those people before this were just like, uh, of course, of course this is, this is going to be shit. Of course this is (laughs) complete an utter ridiculous manipulation of the media, which is what it was. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hate UFOs really hate yeah. UFOs. Yeah, I hate ghosts, you know, I hate so, UFOs. We hate Megalodon. The Megalodon, I, I have to agree with you on the Megalodon stuff. <laughs> and uh, we don't want to hear about the coelacanth. Don't want to hear about it. <clears throat> I, I totally agree. I, I hate the coelacanth as a cryptid um, because nobody talked about it before it was discovered and nobody cared and it wasn't ethno known. So it's that's such a straw argument. They're like, we found this weird fish. So therefore, and you're, yeah. you're like, wait, what? Like, exactly. Nobody cared about this weird fish. Like the reason you don't know is because it's stupid looking. Anyone who ever saw it was like, that fish is stupid. Get and you out of here. You couldn't eat it either. Yeah. It's dumb. It's one yeah. of the dumbest possible fish. It and the sunfish are stupid and unliked <laughs> and like it has nothing to do with Bigfoot existing. Stop it. Yeah, it has no nothing to do with Bigfoot. And, <laughs> and I, I think I wrote a, a piece a long time ago. I was writing stuff about how cryptozoology is pseudoscience and the whole coelacanth red herring argument really bugged me because it, it, it wasn't a cryptid. It's not yeah. a cryptid. Yeah. Um, so just recently today, I, I posted something, there's a new movie out called crypto zoo. It's an animated feature. It's kind of a fantasy type. For kids? I don't know. No, it is not for kids. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm okay. just going to say it's not okay. for kids. Let's um, go Google. But Michael Sarah in it. <laughs> he's, he's a voice, but let me just say that he dies. He dies early. Uh, spoiler. Oh, spoiler. Yeah. His character dies early in a in a most uh, cryptozoological way, um, but regardless, it it's all fantasy creatures in this crypto oh, yeah. zoo. So it's all things like you know Greek mythological 
beings like Pegasus and Gorgons and satyrs and all these things. And I'm like, that's mythology. It's not cryptids. So what's the definition of cryptids? And that's really disputed these days because nobody has any professionalism. It's not a professional field. So it's all over the place. And the amateurs and the pop culture people and the media have taken over and made it what it is today. So you can discuss not only Bigfoot on one hand as a cryptid, but on the other hand, you can you can talk about the Wendigo and the rake, and which is a completely made up cryptid, <laughs> and the dogman, which is completely implausible. So what the heck is a cryptid? It's anything you want it to be. And that's yeah, right. meaningless. Yeah. Like, like they pretend to be materialists when they want our attention. Mm-hmm. But but they'll stop as soon as like we leave the room. Like <laughs> they're like, oh yes, um, Bigfoot is definitely a lineage of this species, and we very much care about the taxonomy of it and all these things. And they're like, okay, goodbye, thanks for coming. Okay, so anyways, go check that portal over there. Yes, exactly right, <laughs> exactly right. And I I call that the supernatural creep yeah. because the people who started out as you know flesh and blood pelts and paws idea of cryptids have had science as they think about it, fail them as well. If science has not discovered Bigfoot, has mm-hmm. not discovered Nessie, you know, the, it, it, wh- why? Because well, well, I, I put that because, on Bigfoot and Nessie. That's their fault. Well, because we them not exist. they are supernatural. They must yeah. have supernatural qualities in order to evade the scientists. Say <laughs> so that that's in order to sustain the belief, people are more willing to give up the idea of it being natural than the idea that it exists. So they're going to keep that belief and they're going to switch their explanation to something supernatural. And that's what we've seen happening. And boy, that's been, that's been lucrative to a lot of people. Yeah. There was a, did you ever watch a survivor man? Like uh, he was doing, he was like a survivalist guy. He did like, so he did it where he would just try to survive in like the wilderness for Mm -hmm. seven days or something. It was like the standard survival show. And then he did like a Bigfoot uh, special. He's done several now. He's done several. And like, it was like, it went from like Bigfoot is uh, Neanderthal or something like that um, to like, he's a Nephilim. And then like, he's like, he lives in, he, he can phase into trees like a magic bean. <laughs> and yeah. it, it just got so crazy. And it's like, it, it, you can just see the, the de evolution or whatever of how crazy it gets. So, yeah. yeah oh, I mean, just, this, it's, it's this, a parade of special pleading for sure. Mm. This phenomenon happens in, you know, literature as well. They call it flanderization when it happens in the modern American media, right? You just take one aspect of something, then over time, as more and more people get brought in, that one aspect just gets amped up and all the other nuances get lost. So mm. Bigfoot being obscure and unfindable doesn't become he's very sneaky. It becomes he's very mystical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, um, so- Sharon, this is a, a completely uh, random question, but what is like your favorite um, sort of topic you've covered in the past? What's like your, your most proud of uh, sort of examination? That's tough because the things that you write like years ago now look really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you thought they were good at the time and now you look back at me going, oh, I can't stand what I wrote on that. <laughs> so, you know, I used to think that that kind of stuff that I wrote about cryptozoology was good. And now I'm not so sure because I kind of hmm. it's kind of cringy now that I look back at it. So <laughs> it's always like you're always improving and you think that you're, you know, you're evolving, you're getting better at things. So I wouldn't I mean, I'm really proud of my book. I you know, hmm. many people can say that they wrote a book and I. I pretty much was the first one who examined these groups in such a large um, scope. Other people had looked at them and said, oh, well, here's what these ghost hunters are doing. There was a couple, like two or three articles that had been 
um, before I did my work. And at the same time that I was doing my work on amateur, mostly ghost hunters, you know, but it, it wrapped in some other uh, amateur research, paranormal researchers, was Brian Regal at the same time was doing his on the Bigfooters mm. and the history of cryptozoology and amateurs. And of course, his book was an academic press, and it's you know really awesome. It's one of the great books that you should you should have about the the field, but that examined how this concept of science and scientific professionals and amateurs, you know, evolved through time on this particular subject. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fantastic because he discovered some of the same ideas that I had picked up on independently. Yeah. Well, that that's was good. so cool. Yeah. That makes, that makes <laughs> you feel justified. It does. Yeah. yeah. Things like popular leisure where people um, made their hobbies part of their identity. Uh, so, you know, you're, 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 you got some spare time. So you're going to, you know, identify I yourself. podcaster from my thing then. Am I getting called out? For this? No, no, because it <laughs> becomes part of your identity and it's important yeah. to you because you have put an awful lot of effort into what, should be just leisure time, but it's become very important to you and and the sense of who you are. So this happened to Bigfooters as well, and it happened to um, Ghost Hunters. So that if the, you meet somebody on the street, you say, "Hey, hey, hi, you know, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living?" and stuff like that people will will want to share with you their their leisure hobby because mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's more important sometimes than their actually career. Because if they're working at you know the Walmart, that's they're not very proud of that. They're not getting fulfillment out of that. They're getting fulfillment and attention from being a paranormal investigator and watchers. Yeah. And it, that makes a big difference in the way people see themselves and, and if they enjoy life. So, you know what? I'm, I'm not really upset with people who do this. I only get upset when they say they're doing science. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only time I get upset with them. I mean, like mm-hmm. I, 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 for what I live in the Pacific Northwest, but I'm not that invested in the idea of Bigfoot, but I love lake monsters. I really want there to be lake monsters, you know, like, like I, I could understand even myself wanting to like scuba dive down there and find the thing, you know, I, I, it's like romantic and fun, but you know, like if I did that, I, I know I was being stupid. I wouldn't act like there should be a journal written about it, you know? Right. Unless I find it. And then everyone's true. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you, and, who would you call if you found a cryptid? I always think about uh, this. So that, that's actually an interesting question. I, the first thing on my mind would be to document every possible thing I could. I, I would want to like get the flippers I had and preserve them, put them in baggies, save everything. So maybe I can get eDNA or something off of it. You know, I would try to preserve everything around it, all the times and dates and locations as best I would could before I called anybody. And um, then I'd call whoever paid me the most. <laughs> <laughs> So I, like I don't know, but that, that's a, a question. University yeah. or something. Email. Yeah, but they're all, they're all ran by big science. They're going to hide it, you know? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> if you find a sea monster, it's going to prove that evolution is false, and then it'll prove the Bible. <laughs> and then who, which, you know, say you know a number of researchers that would mm-hmm. be appropriate, who do you give this scoop to? Because it's going to yeah, be a big deal. So, I, you know, these are, you know, silly scenarios I have, th- I, I have thought of. In I, case I would I... probably put it on Trey's YouTube, to be honest. He's my boy. I would just be like, Trey, announce this shit. We found Nessie. I have her. She's in my room. We're hanging out. So <laughs> science by YouTube press conference. Yeah. Yeah. That's the future. That, that's where it's going. I'll make it that's a live, true. a live video. Stream yeah, there you and... go. 
people they could live stream the peer review process. People could come in and they're posted little notes in the comments about like how accurate your table is or whatever is in your research papers. It's a new world. I this guess is the future. So. Embrace yeah. it. It's yeah. awful. <laughs> that's the headline for the future. That's, that's the billboard version. Well, if you could find one, what one would you want to find? That's tough. I don't you know. To, you got to give me an answer. I got to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would like an answer to the Bigfoot question. I don't think there is one. Hmm. I don't what do you believe... think the odds are? One uh, percent. Oh, you're mean, higher than I, you're higher than me. Then at one, I, I don't really. I think that it'd be neat if there. But that's okay. So there's a difference between if you say you believe in Bigfoot. Or what do you think about Bigfoot? Because I think people are having a Bigfoot experience. Sure. Yeah. But whatever they're experiencing could be a number of different things. It's going to absolutely be a number of different things. Just like we talk about, you know, Nessie. What's Nessie? It's not one thing. It's not one monster. It's a dozen different things that people experience and then interpret as this single thing. So that's what makes it really hard to figure out, well, what's what's the explanation for a cryptid? Because I don't think we're going to go out and find a unknown hominid out there in North America. It's not going to happen. But I'm really curious what these people are seeing. Yeah, bears, shadows, bears. You know, people in ghillie suits. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different things. That's that's uh, interesting. You, have you been in the Pacific Northwest much? I have not. I have never yeah. been there. I like my uncle lives in the rainforest by Mount St. Helens. I was just like out in the country, the Bigfoot country, you know. And I was looking for him. You know, <laughs> like I was side eyeing. I thought it'd be cool, but you know, you, there's a lot of wildlife out there. But yeah, I just. No, no native North American apes, unfortunately. Whenever I drive through the woods, like I'm in Pennsylvania and, you know, I go to West Virginia quite often, places like mm. that. I It feels remote and I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's out here. I do think about yeah. it, too. Yeah. It's funny. It's just so romantic, you know. It is. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on, Sharon. Oh, um, you're welcome. So I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. It was really nice talking to you. Um, I really like your spooky geology angle. Okay. I think that's a really great niche that you've made. And um, that's something like, you know, a lot of us don't know that much about geology, even as science people. So, yeah, I, I yeah. would love to learn more. I know about granite and limestone. I, I bet know. you I bet you don't. I bet you, you I, don't. I bet you don't know. I have a Dunning-Kruger <laughs> understanding of uh, granite and limestone. Everybody <laughs> calls the rock. Well, you know, it's granite. Because, oh, see, I yeah. just said that. Now I'm going to get it uh, by default. Yeah. Yeah. But granite is a particular thing. Yeah. yeah, well, I just know. So driving up the canyon in, in Northern California. Well, you know where you are. Yeah, it's fair. You know, yeah, yeah, granite so is a really good guess. All the all the sparkly black rock that like makes there up the go. riverbeds and everything. Uh, it's like gray with, with sparkles in it. We call it granite. Perfect. Uh, yep. You're, you know? you're in good shape then. Yeah. yeah. Old people said that's granite. I said it's granite. <laughs> Nobody made fun of me until today. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Archaeology, you essentially go, is it man-made or is it? Is it a rock and you just toss it back? You don't care about <laughs> what it is. You're like, it looks like pottery. Yeah, okay, keep that. And then you're like, oh, no, no, that's a rock. And I, and I get the opposite because I have people giving me pieces of slag from the steel mills or pieces of asphalt or concrete and saying, look what I found. And it's man-made. It's not a rock. So It's just crazy cool. like how specialized we all are. That's true. You know, you yeah. couldn't take somebody from one rental car place and have them work at another rental car place like at the same day. They wouldn't know the computer system. So like how okay. are you gonna take somebody who like specializes in what kind of rocks or what kind of rocks and then somebody who specializes in finding things that aren't rocks in yeah. the dirt? 
You know, like it's just it's a complete different like multi-year process to get to those places. And I think that's our problem. Science has to gatekeep. It has to. And that's a problem. And we kind of need to figure out a way to make a new gate system. Yeah. Maybe a series of tubes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but we have to find a way to make it so science can be as precise and as, you know, requires the expertise necessary, but also like transparent and open and inviting. So yeah. uh, if listeners can write in and figure out this solution to save society, that would be great. Yeah. They That'd probably be awesome. <laughs> You should give um, them a it, prize or something. Yeah, I, I, we, yeah, we will uh, call your name on the show and yeah. I'll get if you solve all society's problems, um, I'll draw you into one of my comic books. How about <gasps> that? Wow. There you go. There you go. All you got to do is solve uh, <laughs> the science communication problem for all time. Yep. Cool. Um, anyways, thank you, Sharon, for coming on <laughs> the show. We, we really appreciate you. Uh, make sure to buy all of her books and subscribe to her on Twitter at. I doubt it. There you go. That's a good one. Oh, and, and your YouTube channel, too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's Spooky Geology has its own YouTube channel. Um, I have some videos up there and some talks that I've done. So yeah, there's some things to look at there. And uh, SpookyGeology.com is the website. And Sharon A. Hill um, at Substack. Um, if you go to Substack, I can't remember the URL right now, but um, follow me on Twitter. It's in my Twitter bio. Awesome. That would be great. All right. Yeah. There you have it. Thanks so much thank for you. coming on. Yeah, Thanks, thank guys. Thank you so much. Well, we have something to tell everybody about. Yes, yes. And that's something. Monster Quest is Monster Quest. <laughs> Witnesses around the world report seeing monsters. Are they real or imaginary? Science searches for answers. On Monster Quest. <laughs> oh, oh okay, what do we got Trey. today? Yes. What are we looking for today? We have, I'm busting my fist on the table. We have the most, one of the most interesting episodes because it's just so bizarre. You're going with the um, word interesting, huh? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Russian killer ape men. That is what it is. It's Russian killer ape men, everybody. Wow. That's where we're at. <laughs> okay. Yes. So. What are Russian killer ape men, and why should I, the American worker, be concerned about them? <laughs> the Russian killer ape men. This episode was all over the place. I think. Um, yes, that's very that's very true. I'd say that it uh, it had a lot of premises. Yes, yes, it was like could humans hybridize with chimpanzees, and then if there's a like Russian version of of Bigfoot, and uh, oh gosh, what else? All kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start with it. <laughs> yeah, so I think the main premise is that um, Stalin in the 1920s, mm. um, you know, he had some people he needed to kill. Mm. And didn't have that great of a military. You know, uh, Russia was behind the world industrializing at the time, but they had a massive population center. Um, mm. Stalin was thinking, you know what, man? I could use some really badass soldiers. Like, so badass, in fact. Half man, half eight. Okay, so um, some money was allocated by Stalin's government to Ila Ivnikov Ivanov. Was that right? Ivanov? I think the last name is Ivanov. Okay, Ivanov. so basically um, Ivanov was a, uh, a biologist and a uh, researcher of sorts. 
Um, yeah, he was he was actually pretty famous, um, unrelated like unrelated to where he was the first person to sort of do artificial insemination. Yes, um, on horses. On horses. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, uh, a a stud horse could only breed so much, but he was able to make it so they could breed much more. So kind of you know help perfect selective breeding for horses, and that was a legitimate discovery that he kind of was able to do and so he's a real working scientist with actual significant results um but it is alleged that he also tried to make eight men yes <laughs> yes this is yeah. and this is this is a yeah this is a big allegation that he wanted and, to um, make while we're looking for eight men in russia mm. also russia has its own kind of wild man bigfoot story yeah yeah and um these are called almasties yeah, the Almasty, which are basically, you know, Neanderthal holdover, ape man, wild men characters, apparently very common in a lot of societies. Yeah. Most so, almost every society has their own version of like the quote unquote wild man, like a hairy humanoid uh monster creature. Yeah. I uh, believe that they, they like this episode sets up the ape men and then it goes in a region where real ape men may have existed. And then it kind of talks about that. <laughs> yes. It's like, here's one thing. And then we're going to do com- something completely unrelated. Yeah. And then um, it brings up an acrobat whose name is a uh, Danny Ramos Gonz- uh, Gomez. Yeah. And um, he has a condition which basically just makes it so a lot of extra hair grows on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called a uh, hybrid trichosis. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's basically the condition. It just makes it so you have a lot of extra hair. Just a normal uh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And and they bring up this guy now. It's kind of interesting. Now, you could definitely see the show bringing up to kind of insult him or be cruel, mm-hmm. which is something I was kind of concerned about. Um, yeah. I do think the show does a pretty good job saying, no, he's not an ape man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was weird that they brought it up in the first place. Like, I felt like he didn't really belong on the show. Yeah. Um, but I, I was happy that they like, they, they nipped it in the bud, like right, right at the beginning. Yeah. Like, they didn't so tease it. They like, specifically Ooh. say, um, some whisper, he is some kind of eight man hybrid. He is not, which I was like, well, it's good. You're dismissing it, but why'd you even bring it up? Yeah. Why bring it up in the first place? He's just yeah. a normal dude with just extra facial hair. It's, it's, I mean, a, I, you know. yeah, it's, also, it's a bit strange. They kind of do it the right way, but I think they were wrong to do it at all. Yeah, so. yeah. Because I don't really know what he's related. Like, he's just a guy with a uh, genetic disorder. It's it's not that big a deal. And then, then then they look into some um, archives of uh, of Russia and Stalin and stuff. And you know, it is true that Stalin did ask um, for soldiers that like didn't give a fuck. Basically, who would be yeah. super soldiers. So like, there was real thought into this kind of thing. So that part is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can say that at least. And. Um, there's a historian we meet, uh, mm. Kiri or not. I can't say any of these damn. Words. He he was a historian. Watch the episode; you'll know his name. Yeah. So, <laughs> he was, so yeah. So there's a Russian historian that that looks into some of these and does find papers where Stalin approved um, essentially ten thousand dollars in 1925. Mm. Um, and so one of them was to our main man Ivanov, and it was to um, impregnate chimps with human sperm. Yeah. So, Which I don't know if it's specifically like for a military purpose. I think it might have just been to see if it could be done. Yeah. Um, you know, so like this was in a bunch of stuff up here, so we don't know exactly. Like, I don't think Stalin called him up and was like, yo, I have an idea. 
<laughs> he was really I, high I, that night. He was like, yeah. whoa, I got an idea. Chimps with red helmets and machine guns. Stalin was willing to do things that other people would cringe from doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> an, another thing I thought was interesting, while we're looking for the uh, a mouse day, I actually um, did some research, and it seems that they're more of a Mongolian myth. You yeah, know? they're more of like the Caucasus Mountains and like it's not necessarily ru like Russia, especially not Western Russia. It's more towards, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's a, I mean, Russia's at, a really the, broad area. At the time, the USSR was basically imperializing large parts of this area. Yeah. But, you know, still, it's not a traditional Russian story. So. Yeah, it's a little misleading. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're also they bring up the story of uh, Zena. Zane, yeah, and then we'll, yeah, this, this um, story was a little. The, the Zane part is very sensitive, and I kind of almost don't want to talk about it, but we'll talk about it um, yeah. enough to explain why. Mm. Um, but that's kind of our search. Basically, um, did Russians make some freaky ass hate monsters to fight <laughs> for communism? <laughs> uh, obviously, yes, they did, and that's why they won. Yeah. Um, I mean, just look what happened at Stalingrad. Yeah, the apes were, were, you know, fighting the Nazis. It was it was impressive. Those kids have no idea whatsoever of what went on at Stalingrad. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so we go on our search, right? Yes. Okay, so what, what do we find first on our search? So what do we find? We find, um, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. They, they talk about... Should we do the DNA test of Zena? Okay, let's just let's just break down the Zena thing. Yeah, we'll break down the Zena thing. Oh. A quick introduction. Monster Quest, while trying to explain the history of human hybrid animals in Russia, talks about the story of Zena. However, there can be some triggering language when discussing the story due to the sexual assault elements in it. So if you are extra sensitive about that, you can skip ahead. We cut out some of the context here because it is a pretty sensitive conversation. So Monster Quest sets up that Zena is related to the Russian ape men because of hybridization. And so we kind of start the conversation back there. Okay. So what does Monster what is the story, the folk legend that why is that why are cryptozoologists interested in the Zena story? Okay, so Zena is a uh story in a certain region of um I think it's Georgia now is the modern location of it. It was in the the 1860s, 1890s. There was a quote unquote, like wild woman that was caught by like villagers in this, this region. And um, she was supposedly like really hairy and seven feet tall and all kinds of things and couldn't speak uh, like human language and uh, all kinds of things. She ate raw meat and there's they there's this belief that she was um, her name was Zena and uh, this belief that she was like this wild um, like archaic human like a Neanderthal or ape Bigfoot like creature and this, as the story goes she was like owned as like almost like a slave by uh, villagers and wealthy people in this area and then like had uh, children by them. Um, and yeah, it's a little yikes. They didn't really dive into in monster quest. It's, it's probably wasn't that these relationships were consensual. Um, anyways, the, the reason why monster quest is interested in this story is that there's this belief that she was a, um, sort of non-human creature 
and that they wanted to test the DNA of her uh, one of her sons, whose name was uh, Quit. Quit, I think it was. Yeah. Um, because her body was lost at the time of Monster Quest. They didn't know where her skeleton was, but they knew where a person that was said to be her son was in that area. And they were going to test the DNA of Quit. Uh, yeah. And see if it was if there was if it was human DNA or hybridized DNA, that kind of stuff. So yeah, we're gonna go a little out of order on the Zena thing because I just kind of want to put it to bed. Yeah. Um, so here's here's the thing about Zena. Mm-hmm. Um Zena was not a wild woman or, or Neanderthal holdover or any kind of cryptid. Yeah. Um, Zena was a person. She was a woman and uh, she was a sub-Saharan African woman mm. and she was enslaved um, by these villagers in Georgia. Mm. And um, there was slavery. Um, there, Some of the earliest slavery from Africa was, um, from the Middle East, and then they were brought in the Russia. So it's probably the lineage of this person. Yeah, um, there, there was a paper. There was actually a 2021 paper that examined the remains a, uh, a second time, um, where they they found a skeleton in a grave that um, was speculated to be Zena, and then they also had quit, which was speculated to be her son. And they DNA tested it, and it turns out yes, this was actually Zena's skeleton. And yeah, the DNA showed that. Um, she was a woman of East African descent, um, yeah. possibly West African, and that it probably was um, she was the product of the Ottoman Empire slave trade at that time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so basically, this was an enslaved human being uh, who seems to have been raped and caged. And so, yeah, it's it's not a fun cryptozoology story. It's not really a fun monster story or even really a fun history story. Yeah. Um, a lot of reporting around this is also bad. They say like yeah. Zena means magical or sorry. They say that Zena means like black, but really it means magical force entity um, to in the Balkans. So like really this person was saying like, oh, I captured this human and they're like a weird fairy person and like selling them based on this stuff. Very dehumanizing and wrong. and. Yeah. I kind of think we just want we wanted to talk about this because it's part of the episode, but I don't think the Zena series story is a really fun story, and it's not something that we're going to talk about and kind of leave this part out of the episode. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's what the scientific paper wrote about. They they had a section at the end talking about the uh, uncomfortable aspect of this story, which I thought was good, was good of them. Yeah, well, yeah. Zena was a was a human being, and yeah, let's put this to rest. <laughs> Yeah, so I think moving on for her specifically, um, it's important to remember that in a lot of you know stories about um, wild men or or groups of humans like on the outskirts, they can be fun and adventurous. I like frontier stories. I'll, I'll be honest, I really do. But there are there is a racial empire colonial aspect to a lot of this stuff, mm. and you have to be very mindful and careful about that because yeah. you know you're you're demeaning your fellow humans like and don't do that you know (laughs) like you wouldn't want it done to you yeah you know if you were if your civilization was met by somebody who was trying to describe you and they described you terribly and awfully and and like didn't treat you like a person and treat you like some mythological animal that you wouldn't like it yeah and and so you shouldn't enjoy it when it's done to others Mm. that that's my opinion on that so we'll Take a breath and move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. 
which we'll is get on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You were saying no. You what you got to say? Sorry. Oh, I was just saying. Uh, which the next thing we'll talk about, I guess, is the uh, the human chimpanzee hybridization. Yeah. So we're gonna put um, some 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 human <laughs> sperm and some ladies, or some chimp sperm and some humans. Well, for um, Ivanov, his weird experiment was not. It wasn't chimpanzees. For some reason, he had like an orangutan named Tarzan. Oh yeah, the sperm donor. Yeah, which makes it doesn't make that much sense because orangutans are more distantly related to humans than uh, chimps. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, so it, so his I believe that his first things failed. So he went to Georgia in 1929, and he had the orangutan named Tarzan. He was a sperm donor, and then he got a volunteer woman, right? Yeah, a volunteer woman. Yeah. And, who who wrote to him? And they had like a uh, Monster Quest had like a dramatic reading of her letters and stuff. The dramatization. It's this is kind of a let's be honest. This is kind of a gross episode. <laughs> yeah, this is one of our grosser episodes. Um, basically, this woman writes that her social life is terrible, and so she doesn't know what to do, and she wants to do whatever she can do to help um, the USSR. So she's willing to carry a um, orangutan human hybrid. Yeah, to help. Communism. <laughs> it's like, what? What? So yeah. Um, so basically let's just talk the, the science here. Could mm-hmm. this work? Could, could you create a hybridization between any other apes and homo sapiens? This is, this has been a long debate in the, in, in science and it, the, it, the, like, okay, so crossbreeding works and we know that it works with like a lot of animals that we would be surprised that can be crossbred. Like, um, there's of course like zebras and horses and donkeys and zebras and then there's um there and, and sometimes it occurs, like we can breed domestic animals together that are pretty distant related and then um there's been examples of hybridizations in the wild there's been um i know there's at least one example where it seems like a polar bear and a grizzly bear um hybridized in, in natural conditions a pizzly um, a pizzly is that is that the correct name for it yeah <laughs> Um, there's of course like ligers and all or kinds bred of stuff. for their magical powers. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. That's a, that's the whole thing. Um, and then recently there was a really, really cool example recently where, um, there was a skull found in, I think like Greenland in the nineties. It was like this strange looking skull where it looked kind of like a, a bit like a beluga whale and a bit like a narwhal skull. Yeah. And it was kind of in between the two. And then they did, did a have DNA a horn? test. Um, no, it had the teeth. So the horn of a narwhal is actually it's like a it's, tooth, right? It's a yeah. giant ass tooth. And so you can see with this skull is that its teeth were, um, they were smaller, but they were orientated in a weird way, like almost like a narwhal tooth. Um, you can see the skull. It, it was a pretty cool study and they did a DNA test of it. And, and sure enough, it was a hybridized beluga and narwhal. Wow. Just completely naturally. No, it was already, it was a skull by the time the scientists have seen it. But so, it was something that happened in nature. Well, did it or Atlantis? <laughs> oh no, no! It's in Greenland. It's in. They, they oh, were in the bre- they were breeding domesticated beluga narwhals. <laughs> Hyperboreans were using these beluga narwhals. <laughs> yeah, they they That's... they used them, um, um, you know, as a beast of burden, basically to carry. Uh, their magic crystals around. I don't surprise you don't know this. <laughs> oh, so that was an interesting. So hybridization can happen. Two animals can interbreed that are 
different species. This is where we get into the line between like what's a different species and what's like a subspecies or something. Which is rough, right? Because one of the shorthands is if they can't interbreed, they're their own species, right? But then sometimes they do. Sometimes (laughs) they do interbreed and the, 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 uh, whatever the child is, um, sterile. It's a lot, there's a lot of gray area with it and it all, and that's what evolution's about. It's like animals will grow more and more distant to each other when their gene pools are separated. Um, but sometimes you'll have a lot of mixing over time and, and some animals can interbreed uh, when uh, when it seems like they've been separated for like thousands and thousands of years. Um, but for humans, let's go to humans and other apes. Well, see, even um, talking about humans itself is kind of a um, iffy because, like, what are we counting as human? Right. There, we've like, we've interbred with tons of archaic uh, humans, Homo. Because yeah, we species. call ourselves Homo sapien, right? But maybe that's not even right. Maybe we're Homo erectus sapien. Yeah, you know, like like who knows? Like it's it's very complicated. Yeah, and 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 archaeologists or not archaeologists, but paleoanthropologists will like go like on these major major debates on everything. Like, is Neanderthal a subspecies of Homo sapien? Are we a subspecies of them? Da, da, da. And it's like it's a it's like a lot of semantics. Like um, they'll argue with all these little things, like they were arguing something important, like Star Wars, but they right. do it. With like the it's not really human, that it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really not that important, like what we judge as a species, because that's what biology is. It's a lot of gray area. There's not yeah. defined separate areas. Um, and so with so could humans interbreed with chimpanzees? Yeah. How um, closely are we related to chimps? Are we close enough? Do we have the same kind of chromosome set up. How could it work? It's, it's, it's probably, probably, we probably could not interbreed with chimpanzees and it, yeah. it, that has to do with, um, so we split from chimpanzees, uh, I think, what is it now? I think chimpanzees, gorillas, and humans separated at 7 million and then that we separated right from, head, yeah. from chimps at like 5 million or something like that. Yeah. And we have uh, different, we have a different number of chromosomes than them. Yes, no. and that's the big thing is humans have a, a different number of chromosomes than all other uh, great apes. So chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans have 48 chromosomes, but humans have 46. Um, and it's weird. Most humans, it, humans. Most humans, yeah. There's, of course, sort of exceptions to it. Um, and the weird thing about that is that our second chromosome is actually the two separate chromosomes in other apes that have, it's fused together. And it, it, mm. you can see it totally in the in the karyotypes. It's funny, and it's like one of like this. It's a really strong evidence of evolution. It's like, why do we have this weird freaking chromosome that look? It's literally two chromosomes fused together. Um, where you it's can still been see said this. that if we didn't have the fossil evidence, the the genetic evidence for evolution is stronger anyway. We don't even yeah. need the fossil. It could evidence. stand on its own because like yeah. it's so weird. Why would you have a second chromosome? Why would you have a chromosome that's big and it has like. Uh, two centromeres and stuff in it um it's funny you can look it up look at a chromosome number two and compare it to what it looks like in other apes uh, anyways that's like the main probably that's probably what would be the main problem is that we have different chromosome numbers um and it probably would mess up the developmental stuff and and cause a whole bunch of problems um and in there in like it's it's like there's been a, there's been several attempts on how to like hybridize humans and chimpanzees, but nothing's come of it so far, as far as I I know. 
probably the answer is probably not. That's my answer. Yeah. Humans and chimpanzees probably can't interbreed. And then like when you go to like gorillas and humans or orangutans and humans, it's probably even harder. So he only did a few tests, um, mm-hmm. but they didn't produce any results, you know? So yeah. I guess you can't say no, but um, <laughs> I would say you and uh, please stop. Yeah, don't do that's the big thing is that like there's a lot of uh like gross ethical conversations that goes with this. Like, would it be ethical to create a human Z? Probably not. <laughs> and, um, and then they talk about uh so we go and we meet um Esteban uh Sarmento, who we've met before. He is mm-hmm. a um a biologist, anthropologist kind of guy. And he was in one of our Bigfoot episodes when we went up to the cabin. Oh, yeah. He's, I know this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy who's like, I bet Bigfoots would eat that lichen and stuff. He's that dude. Mm. He's like, they could catch these birds. Um, so he, <laughs> he, they started talking about the topic, you know, well, what would you do with a chimp human? Like, do chimps like to fight? And then they're like, yes, chimps do like to fight. Chimps are um, pretty violent. <laughs> yeah. So basically I mentioned, you know, chips do go to war. They do organize conflict and they do fight over resources. Um, male chimps will... supposedly um, murder too. There's been like oh, one. Yeah, they're, they're bastards. Yeah. And like cold um, blood, like for no real good reason. Yeah. So chimps will kill babies of other males. Um, chimps will invade for territory. They'll get up and do gangs together, go find a chimp and kill them. Mm. You know, so like uh, chimps are, are not that nice. Um not that we're that nice, really. We're pretty. Yeah, they're a lot like us. They're, chimpanzees yeah. are more like us than I think we we like to admit. They meant they mentioned that you know chimps are ninety nine percent same DNA as us, which sounds like wow, amazing. Which I mean, it is, but most things are pretty related DNA wise. You know, yeah. I think we're like ninety seven percent the same chemical makeup as like a banana. It's like you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot I mean, of it's a lot of it's like a foundational stuff that's similar. yeah. The way that life works on Earth is a certain way, right? You exchange like half of your body is just exchanging potassium. That's like what it does. Like, <laughs> that's, that's mostly what your body does. <laughs> so then, then they like wonder if uh, Ivanovan like knew about Zena. You know, he, did, he probably didn't. <laughs> which there's no evidence he did. Um, whatever. Um, hmm. They talk about bonobos for a while. Love bono- Everybody loves bonobos. They, which they you know they're they're very apes. closely related to us. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how they're the free love apes and they like to fuck other apes. That's right. That's right. There, I, there is I like, guess. um, there is like a local, I remember there's local folklore about like, um, it, it, for people that live in the regions that bonobos live, um, mm-hmm. in Africa, there is folklore where like women aren't allowed to interact with bonobos or something like that. Cause there was like a legend that they could interbreed or something or, Something like that. I remember wow. learning about something. But it's, yeah, so this it's is the folklore. grossest episode. <laughs> it's gross. It's just a lot of, of folklore. Gro- grossest episode of our show and grossest episode of Monster Quest. Yeah. So, it, awesome. Thanks, Monster Quest. It's a lot of like gross. I don't even know what to talk about with it. And, and, and then for some reason, they bring up King Kong like flirting with Fay Ray. Oh, I thought that was the weirdest thing. And I was like, what like, does this have to do with it? They're anything? like, they use that as evidence for like. They literally do. As <laughs> apes mating with so, humans, like that's a movie. <laughs> I just googled King Kong real quick because I was talking about it, and I looked it up. It has a ninety-eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Who gave really? King Kong a bad review? It's the same person it's that like gave Citizen Kane one of the greatest <laughs> films of all time. To like helped invent individual story making, and they're like, 
Uh, the stop fine. motion would kind of dated. Man, bad. we should we should get over opinions. We need a new kind of way to think. <laughs> opinions are just bad. Okay, so yeah, this episode's like kind of chaotic, so it's a little harder to talk about than some of them. It's yeah. It, also, I think I'm gonna paint a picture of everybody. If you if you're not gonna watch this with us, we turn it on, and there's CGI battalion of like <laughs> fucking orangutan humans in red communist armor. Marching down the red square, Which and they're just machine like machine guns with rifles or something. Yeah, with AKs, and I'm just like, what the hell are we doing here, man? <laughs> and then they're like, they're like, let's talk about this thing I don't even want to talk about anymore. And then let's talk about this guy who's messing with sperm. This guy with like, a hairy face. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, leave the hairy face guy alone, dude. The guy's trying to live his life. He's literally like, I just want to love and be alone. I'm like, please leave this guy alone. <laughs> have some empathy and yeah i don't i don't know what i don't know i think i think doug hijack mentioned us that he didn't like this episode yeah um when we were speaking to him and i think he's right i can <laughs> see why i can see because it's it's first of all it's not coherent really um because they talked no. to that guy who like transplanted a, a head or something on a monk another monkey's yeah. body so and it's that's like, another what thing. does that have to do with this? yeah when we go when we go to our findings what we find right yeah. Um, we go talk to Clive Wine, the animal psychologist, and he says, even if interbreeding was possible, there is nothing you can do with the human ape primate. Yeah. Like, how could you order them about? And he said, they'd rip your arms off. Well, you know? they'd probably be really sick. Like hybrids, they, they're not they're not really meant to exist. Yeah, um, he, he mentions that, like, you know, you think you're doing it like you're putting together some kind of like Pokemon or something like yeah. you're mid maxing, right? You're going to take the strength of the orangutan and the brain of the human, get them together and get big beater, master, smart guy. But yeah. you might get the brain of the orangutan and the strength of the human. Yeah. You know, like, you don't know what's going to happen. No. Like, we don't even know what's going to happen when we breed apples together. <laughs> like, a- apples have, like, hidden variety DNA in them and stuff, right? Like, Yeah, and it's going to get, like, it's going to have, like, arthritis. It's going to have, like, it's going to be sick. It's going to give it anxiety. <laughs> uh, and then, like, it's going to probably have depression. It's it's not great. Going to have to pay its mortgage. It's don't make a human Z. It's it's not good. Uh, and um, then they say this fantastic line. The question is, if you did cross man and ape, what would the outcome really be? Ironically, the 1967 movie Planet of the Apes may actually make sense. Apes and how they like have different phenotypes. So, like that's how it would probably be. I'm like, it's like okay. what? <laughs> and and give me uh, if I'm correct, Planet of the Apes does not have human chimpanzee hybrids in it. They're they're no, like a- they're they're apes that um well they're different sapiens, but they're they're different monkey kind of looking things, right? A whole bunch of different families. Yeah, and um they basically do experiments to try to make them more intelligent. Um, and then they were kind of like um domestic servants, and then they eventually become too intelligent. And then Caesar becomes brilliant, and then Caesar leads them in a revolt and takes over the planet. Yeah, it, it's like that. That's like similar to what they said about the freaking um, uh, King Kong thing, where they just like, "Here's a movie that has apes in it. You Enjoy know what that. this is. <laughs> you know what that is. It's like my member berries." <laughs> yeah. Um. Then, then thankfully, they like talk about Danny, our our, our friend, and um, you know, they mention yes, it's a known commi- um, condition. And it may be an atavism, but it's totally human. Nothing weird about him. Um, yeah. Do you mind explaining what an atavism is, Trey? 
Yeah, and atavism is a, a quote unquote like evolutionary flow throwback. Throwback. It's a flowback. Um, it's a flowback. <laughs> it's it's where um, so in your DNA there's stuff like by evolutionary reasons it's just become turned off for some reason like a certain gene has been clicked off by like a mutation um, and at any moment it can be kind of turned on by an accident like you'll see it chickens I think chickens have um, DNA coding for. Uh, teeth still and you can turn it on you can turn those genes back on and the chicken will make these sort of rudimentary uh sort of primitive looking teeth in their beaks or um there's dolphins that have been found that have a second pair of limbs um second pair of flippers uh and and what happened is, is that so what happened with danny essentially is that there's coding for extra hair body hair in our dna that's been turned off through evolution for reasons um, and what happened is a mutation happened and his body's creating hair now that for in a, in an areas that it was turned off for. So it's nothing too impressive. Like people can have like third nipples and stuff like by accident. It's an atavism. There's tons of them. Another evidence of evolution. There's a pseudoscience around atavisms. A lot of it actually. Yeah. There's um, a lot. There's like pictures of saying like uh, Hitler had like a chimpanzee atavism in his hand and stuff. Cause he's like less than human. Okay. Yeah. You know how the internet Yeah, there's like there's like lizard people atavisms and all kinds of also go watch uh, Trey's YouTube video about lizard people and like and subscribe. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, so there's nothing really wrong with them. And some atavisms are not that bad. Like it's it's literally just a cosmetic thing. Yeah, Um, the dude just got a hairy face. He says he doesn't want to shave it because it's who he is. He seems content and confident, you know, wish him all the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so then they uh, talk to Doctor White, and he's the guy um, who did the transplant with a monkey's brain. Yeah, he was really proud of himself. He's like, some people call me Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what did he try to do exactly? I I read up on it. He was like, I wanted to transplant a monkey, one monkey's head onto another monkey's head, and. Uh, he did it apparently like it seemed did, like the monkey was uh, the the transplanted head was like responsive like its eyes twitched and could breathe and he mentioned that it bit him a lot it bit him um i'm not sure how successful it is it doesn't seem like the monkey survived long afterwards like, no it did not yeah the body rejected it or for whatever reason and i don't really know why you would want to do this there's a lot of like why would you want to do this as a scientist i, I believe his argument Yes. Was that so we can learn more about consciousness and how the brain works. Okay. I mean, that was his position. You know, I'm not arguing it for him, but that's what yeah, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and his quote was, ethical issues stopped his research. So I think he felt like he could have done better, but they weren't. he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's, and I don't know what that has to do with the ape men. Again, it's a story that just happens to have a monkey in it. It's monkey news. Yep, monkey news. <laughs> <laughs> which i believe is a skit on the ricky gervais show that is right uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has a, a monkey operating the rocket or whatever <laughs> yeah. talks about. He, he presses the left button <laughs> i gotta put a monkey news thing in here now well uh now time for one of our regular features monkey news do the jingle oh chimpanzee that monkey news 
what what we're doing here is right is uh, just giving you a bit of bit of monkey news that's that's gone on right where a monkey's been involved in it. Good little story in that. Yeah. <laughs> <Basically> <laughs> this was basically yeah. This was the monkey news episode. I should have realized <laughs> that before. Um, so the end of the story of uh, Ivanov, our our boy who tried to make super soldiers for Stalin, was mm. that uh, Stalin put him in jail and he died. Yeah, they were like, they were saying, oh, he almost got there. He almost did it. He had that volunteer. And then Stalin was like, hey, you're a political dissident. He'll put you in jail. Yeah, but that's what Stalin does with people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you're not Stalin, you're probably going to get put in jail by Stalin. You can just mm. kind of expect that to happen. This is outrageous. Where are the armed men who come in to take the protesters away? Where are they? This kind of behavior is never tolerating in Boracua. You shout like that, they, they put you in jail right away. No trial, no, no nothing. Journalists, we have a special jail for journalists. You're stealing, right to jail. You're playing music too loud, right to jail, right away. You're driving too fast, jail. Slow, jail. You're charging too high prices for uh, sweaters, glasses. You right to jail. You undercook fish, believe it or not, jail. You overcook chicken, also jail. Undercook, overcook. You make an appointment with a dentist and you don't show up, believe it or not, jail, right away. We have the best patients in the world. Because of jail. Interestingly, it appears that uh, Ivanov was not doing this so much to build super soldiers. This is yeah. not true. Um, he was mostly doing this to bolster evolution, to downplay the power of the church in Russia. Because yeah. until Stalin, you know, put all the Russian church people in prison um, before that happened, they, you know, they had a lot of power. Um mm. And so he was trying to be kind of like Huxley and kind of be like a, a bulldog for Darwin in the sense by proving like how related these ape species were to kind of downplay right. the church's power. So he was doing yeah. it for that reason. Would you? Okay. I don't know. Sure. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it um, seems pretty bad that he's making an artificial creature just for the fun of it. It's, I disagree with it. I don't think. I don't think we I, probably should do it. I, I, I'm happy that he didn't get to do it. Uh, sometimes you hear these scientists that had like really crazy plans and you're just like, oh, thank goodness you didn't get to do it. Yeah. You yeah, get so that with the, you get with the, you have that with um, Schleeman. We talked about Schleeman last time, the archaeologist. Schleeman. Schleeman, where he destroyed Troy. There's like one, um, I was reading about him and he almost got to work on in Crete and the Minoans. And he died no. before he got to get there. Oh, and I was like, good. oh, thank God. Because <laughs> he would have destroyed so, sorry, it all. Sorry, We like Nothing your me- charisma. We just don't like the things you do. He was like, oh, I'm next plan. I'm going to go to Crete. I'm going to stay the Minoans. And like he he died. And like it was uh, one of his pupils that got to do it instead. Who wasn't mm. perfect, but he was more delicate about sure. uh, our ex- expedition. So, so like, it oh, turns out, you ooh. know, like I said, that the Zaina story, she's just a human. That's it. That's the end yeah. of it. Other than the tragic parts. Um you know, are there evidence of um, Neanderthal, ape men, vestigial stuff in people? Not really. I mean, Neanderthal DNA is in us so yeah. in that sense, but in no spectacular sense that gives extra credence to any cryptological or paranormal claim. Then Neanderthals no. are, are pretty much human. They, like people see like the can argue artwork, that. artwork yeah. from like the 1800s or whatever, and it depicts them as like like brutish monsters um but like for the average person you probably would have seen a neanderthal and thought they were a human um just for like minor skull shape differences and stuff 
Um, Cause we humans have a lot of variation as is. So like somebody that has a more prominent brow ridge or something like that's not, that's not big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can argue they even are human. Some right. people have, you know, um, because like we were saying, all these different hominid lines are pretty vague, really. Yeah. Um, which is kind of one of the themes of the episode, really. So I guess that part is more scientific. But, uh, mm. um, but the, here's the thing. This whole story that Monster Quest went on a search for and that there's other YouTube videos and articles about about Russian Stalinist communist orangutan human soldiers. <laughs> um, none of this really happened. No. Yeah. So basically, the British paper, The Scotsman, told this story about Stalin wanting to make eight men because there was an actual report of that $10,000 being kind of rubber stamped um, for this research. Um, but this research was never really to make soldiers. It was to explore the evolutionary connection, right? It was just kind of to figure out more things about human evolutionary history. Yeah, um, it was It was more of like a could we do it kind of thing. It wasn't the intent to make a yeah. military purpose out of it. But then, you know, them making ape man, it just sounded too cool for them to be soldiers. Killer ape man. <laughs> yeah. And so then that kind of just is what happened with it. This is a killer so eight man story where nobody died except except a guy from Stalin in the Gulag. Yeah, well, that's everybody in Russia. <laughs> I mean, how many millions of people did Stalin kill? I mean, it's up there pretty high, man. It's pretty tragic. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Stalin. I gotta say, not. Yeah, fan. no, not a fan of Stalin either. <laughs> um, come at me, tankies. I don't care. I'll block you. Um, but yeah, so that this is a very weird monster quest and. Maybe this is our worst Monster Quest segment because it's so like like long-winded and deranged, but I don't know, like I really didn't feel comfortable talking about the Zena stuff because it's it's pretty messed up. It's pretty screwed up. The or the ape hybrid stuff is pretty screwed up. You don't really want to talk about that too long. No, and so it's just basically a nothing burger. Um mm. other than the CGI, really, I just want to talk about the CGI ape swap yeah, down. The I would love to see a movie out of this. This is Oh, I'd watch that. If we could make uh the communist planet of the apes, you know, like uh, comrade of the apes, comrade of the apes. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many movie ideas come out of this show, and nobody's <laughs> calling us. Why? Why isn't Hollywood on the phone? Anyways, we had an interview with Sharon this episode, so it's probably going to go a little long. So I think we've probably talked about this particular Monster Quest episode enough. Mm. Um. I am going to check out a few of the comments before we go, though, because that's always fun. Oh, these will, I remember one. I remember reading one. Some of these are good. Uh, <laughs> it said uh, they were they were talking. They were questioning him. Yeah, I I just didn't get any DNA. They're talking about the guy. And he's like, I mean, you did soak it in bleach overnight. <laughs> <laughs> one per, one person wrote, um, "So much fooey." There is an artist drawing, and he was paid to paint that. There's no fossil record of any animal becoming a human. Just as there's no fossil record of a mouse becoming an elephant in spite of their close DNA. All right. <laughs> I mean, she watched the, the Russian ape thing and she's just like, evolution is fake. That's what I take away from this. <laughs> okay. People are weird. People are very weird. Let's see. This, gotta, is, this is the last time I fall for History Channel's nonsense. They, <laughs> they, they like to dangle the carrot out, carrot out in front of you and take you nowhere. So he's very yeah. upset there. I mean, they do do that. Th that really scary as hack. <laughs> a lot of people were um, opining on how fun it would have been to see the uh, ape army, the red ape army, you know, attack. 
uh, Germany. They said, I'd watch that. I, I'd watch Stalingrad Ape Shit Edition. <laughs> Those kids have no idea whatsoever of what went on at Stalingrad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Oh. Yeah. So basically, yeah, that's the um, that's the episode. Uh, Are you excited for the next episode? Do you want to okay, know what so, it is? So, so, so Killer Ape is episode 10. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks like it got a, a 6.2 on IMDb. Okay, that's pretty standard. I would give I, this like a f- three or something. I think I give it like a four because of the CGI. Yeah, the CGI is the one saving grace of this uh, episode that, I, here. I don't really like them talking about the furry face kid. I mean, dude, whatever. If you got a weird eye or a weird air, like a weird ear or something, don't make fun of people. You know, like, it's just, I don't know. I don't like yeah. them making fun of the kid. I mean, they didn't really, but they shouldn't have brought him into it at they all. Should, there was no real reason to bring him up. There wasn't a reason to bring up a lot of stuff in this. Yeah, yeah, the, the Zana stuff is like disgusting, quite honestly. Yeah, and, the, um, I mean, they kind of have to bring it up because it was a popular topic. I get it, but like, still, man, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. This was um, grasping at straws. I feel like this episode, yeah. unfortunately. But the CGI though is worth two points for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So that that was Russian Killer Aitman. Not not one of the best, but it's still fun going through these episodes. So yeah, next episode is uh, the rods. It's unidentified oh flying God. creatures. And I lo- I love rods. Rods. Okay, so that'll be next time we're watching the rods episode, which is season one, episode eleven. Um, so if you're a Patreon backer, you can send us questions. Otherwise, you can uh, follow along and watch it with us, or tweet at us if you like. So yeah. Um, we'll be going in search of rods. <laughs> um, anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I know this is the, I believe the fourth time I've said this, but we will eventually have the episodes up on YouTube pretty soon. Yes, I, I have several uh, separated, and I'm going to upload them soon, very soon. We're, we're just all freelancers doing this for the love, you know, so this is it's a lot of works, but we'll, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. But make sure you subscribe to all Trey's stuff and then check out my comic books if you're cool and into that kind of thing. And uh, back us on Patreon if you want to send a message. And I believe that Trey and I are going to do a commentary of a movie soon and put it up on Patreon. Oh, that'll uh, be fun. Which will be fun. So maybe we'll do the new Bigfoot thing or maybe we'll do something else. Maybe that should be the poll. We can have a poll. People can vote on that. Okay. I kind of want to do Prince of Egypt because I want to watch it. Oh, yeah. I want to watch Prince of Egypt. That'll be cool. And I could talk about a lot of the archaeology stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go so I can edit this. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you. See you, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> I thought I bored me, but I learned to think like you. And nothing bores me. That's that nothing is thought through. Last night heard what the big
said 